When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Mr. Lee Austin, as I like to call you. Thank you for also appearing here. And on the last episode, you were quite fired up. I really appreciated the energy. Oh, yeah. Some would call it something other than energy, but I, I really appreciate the fact that you uh, invited me back. Like I mentioned off air, this is my second favorite topic that we're going to discuss tonight. I love delving into this one. This is going to be good. And for those out there who want to jump in here, that number is 760-332-8724. If you do have any questions as we go along here, that number is 760-332-8724. Don't be shy. You too can get involved. Now, again, boys, I'm glad you are both here. We have a very, very exciting topic here, and I just can't believe it. This one always gets me rowdy. Calm down, Michael. <laughs> you, you jumped in there too late there. I was hoping you'd jump in there early. You're, you're, you're a terrible co-host now. Boy, I'll tell you. I'm like the the corn of, what is that called? The cornea virus or whatever it's called? Oh, the coronavirus, yeah. Oh, the coronavirus. Yeah. You get a Lyme disease. Uh, never mind. <laughs> well, I'm, I appreciate the shot there. And, of course, Scott, I want you yes. to tell us a little bit about yourself as we get rolling here. Well, I'm a chef by trade, retired. I've always been interested in space, always followed NASA. When they first started coming online with uh, some of their documentation in the late 1990s, when everything was available online, I started reading all of their uh, documents. They had their PDF files that they uh, were providing on their report server and from their journal site. And, uh, you know, for years, I just kept reading all the technical data on on all of their uh, tests and uh, uh, progress, inventions, new technology, new materials and everything else. And up until the, the mid-2000s, uh, I thoroughly believed that they landed on the moon. Uh, I mean, I heard rumors here and there that it didn't happen and stuff. Right. I watched a, a couple of videos that really made me curious. So then I started downloading all of the uh, photographs from the journal site and uh, started to study them. And uh, rather than look at what other people were doing and what their results were, what their findings were, I just stayed to myself because I wanted my results to be from my own findings. And uh, the videos I've produced and the uh, uh, articles I've, I've written are based on all of those findings. Okay, and you'll find them on the Ola site. Um, you'll find them at uh, the videos are at Apollo Detectives and as well as Paul in the Flame. Very nice. And of course, I noticed since the last time we talked, you have acquired some new friends, some new naysayers who want to debunk you now, Scott. Oh, they're always out there. I found that quite interesting. Yeah, there's there's been a few new ones lately. Right. I I would like to tell you that the the research is continuing. Okay. I I research all the time. That is my main thing. Okay. And it doesn't matter where I need to look for the information on on uh, Apollo and NASA and things like that. I'll look anywhere to find out because uh, it doesn't matter uh, whether uh, a person or a site has any credibility or not. Sometimes there's a little bit of truth in there or there's something, some new information that I need to do some more research on. And uh, I currently have a friend uh, and he went out and bought a bunch of uh, vacuum equipment 
So he can pull a vacuum of uh, Tor to the uh, minus three with the equipment. And he has taken the um, Hasselblad film, the actual Kodak Aster film, and he's been putting it through vacuum tests in his chambers and uh, developing the film. And I've witnessed all of it. I've watched him. I've watched him do the development, the photography, everything else on it. And uh, what it's going to show is that the film itself is being affected by the vacuum. The results will be uh, presented by both Marcus Allen and David Percy will do an entire write-up on it when when the uh, tests are finalized. By the way, I, I forgot to ask you, have you talked with Randy? Yes, I have. How's he doing? I'm, I'm in his book. Yeah, yeah. He's going he's gonna to do another um, uh, chapter or so just on, just on the photographs we're, oh, we're okay. working on that. right now, as a matter of fact. Very nice, very nice, yes. and, and he's getting some very good sales on his books as well. Uh, his first book, of course, is based on um, uh, mainly the Saturn V rocket and the thrust and propulsion of the F1 engines. Yes, that and, of course is the book, the Apollo Moon missions, hiding a hoax in plain sight. A very, very good book. Uh, once you once you read that, you really have to question uh, the ability of of uh, to, to lift enough uh, uh, equipment into space with the amount of thrust that the uh, Saturn V had really puts that into question. His book really puts that into question. And anybody out there listening should buy his book and read it. He has done an incredible amount of research on the topic, and he's very knowledgeable. That's pretty wild. And, of course, as I was saying to you earlier, you do have some naysayers out there and people that are trying to debunk you, and you shouldn't exactly take it as a sign of disrespect. At least you got those people to uh, open their minds just a little bit. Well, the the fact of the matter that it um, may anger them, sure, right, doesn't change the fact, right? If if in fact we did not land on them, right, which it's very much not just in my opinion, but uh, it's very factual from the the studies I've done. Okay, that uh, nobody landed there. If that if that upsets people, you have to just control your emotions and go back and just look at what my findings are and realize that that these things are just so difficult to do. The fact that we're not doing it today is a very prime example that it didn't happen. Okay, the uh, that article you sent me uh, just before the show. Oh, yes. It's just another prime example of a delay. Yeah, and we talked about this the last time you were here. We both, well, actually, I had asked you if you think they were going to push the date back, and what happened? They pushed yeah, the they've date back. they've done it again. They've done it again, <laughs> and it's going to happen again. I mean, you realize they're not even talking about human spaceflight there. The the two, the 2024 Orion mission was was unmanned. Not a landing, just fly around. By the way, Lee, if you didn't read the article, NASA basically wants to go to Mars over the moon. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah, not, doing, only, not only that, not only that, in the article, they want to take control of all of the equipment, have full control of the, of the employees and the crew of the equipment so that they can compartmentalize the situation if they need to fake it. Well, that way they can control the narrative. And, you That's know, right. I think I think about Don Pettit 
who was a, an astronaut, and they had asked him, and it's a famous video on YouTube, why uh, we don't go back to the moon. And he said it's, um, you know, that he'd go back and quote unquote a nanosecond, but it's a painful process because uh, they've destroyed all the telemetry and all of the technology. And when you really let that sink in, the idea that we haven't been back to the moon in almost 50 years and that NASA purposely destroyed all of the telemetry and all of the technology, quote unquote, they used to go to the moon. Really what it comes down to is that when I was growing up, the moon was televised on three networks and you believe Walter Cronkite. And all you had to do was convince Walter Cronkite that it was real and he would convince the world. And everything, in my opinion, is compartmentalized. The job I work at in logistics, there's many different compartments. And they do the same thing at NASA. Most people that work at NASA believe we landed on the moon and believe they're doing good work. But in the actual hierarchy at the top, it's compartmentalized and they are not flying or have ever flown to the moon because it just can't be done. Not only can it be done, it will never be done. And they just keep kicking the can down the road, just like Boeing does with the um, 737 MAX. It's just not going to happen. Well, that's very apparent with the, the actual spacesuits. Um, my article on Aulis is a complete breakdown of the development of the spacesuits through its inception, through Apollo and right up to the, the new Artemis suit. And I don't know if you've watched the, the video when they were displaying the Artemis suit and they had that woman come out on stage wearing the suit and it was supposed to be pressurized to 8 PSI and she's opening and closing her hands and stuff. I mean, that's just a display model suit, okay? She's not actually wearing a suit that is actually pressurized. She's wearing a pair of Nike boots, which no, they're not even sealed. So you can't pressurize the suit when she walks out on stage. Okay. She's maybe, the woman weighs maybe 45 kilograms, and you expect to see her bend down and pick a rock up with a 110-kilogram suit on. Absolutely impossible. The suit doesn't weigh that much. Okay. And if you go online, you can see the open contracts to actually make that suit. There's open bids available for contractors to actually build that suit from the the uh, uh, active seals on the things, the uh, computerized robotics to uh, assist in the opening and closing of the gloves and that when the suit is pressurized, as well as the materials for insulation, abrasion, and micrometeor. They're all open bids there. They haven't actually built that suit. That's just a display model design of what the thing should look like. It's just to keep the budget going. I think they're spending about $55 million a day. And I, I live on the Space Coast. I'm right down the road from NASA. So I'm I'm in their backyard. But all of the numbers don't line up. The fact that allegedly the International Space Station is only flying at 400 miles above the Earth. And yet the moon is 238,000 miles from the Earth, allegedly. Why is it that we haven't gone back in almost 50 years, and now they're talking about Mars. And as you mentioned, they want to control the entire narrative. And the reason they want to do that is because they can't hide it in plain sight like they used to back in the 60s and early 70s. With all of the technology available and the 
and the internet and, and people like yourself constantly investigating this, they know they're going to be exposed as the frauds that they are. And so what they do is they compartmentalize it, keep shoving CGI photos down the throat of the public and spending a lot of that money just on PR to propagate the continuation of their budget. Well, I think I think they make a pretty good profit. I understand that, you know, they're they're not actually using the equipment there. The government's giving them what is, is closer to $60 million a day. And they're turning around and renting that out to um, Elon Musk and, and uh, Boeing and everything else, right? The equipment is provided. They, they get their money to pay their employees, plus they're turning around and they're renting all of that equipment out, all of their space out to other industries. What I find interesting, when you really go – very far down the rabbit hole. When I when I wrote my book a year ago, I thought it was all about money. And, and really what it's all about, what I believe, is that it's control. They want to control what's above us and what's on the edges. And if they can control us, then they can control the narrative of who we are, where we came from, and where we're going. And that, to me, is the bottom line of what all of this is about. It's about control and not necessarily money. Money is a byproduct of what they're doing. Well, you realize that the general population uh, tend to believe anything that the government tells them. And, of course, I'm the same way. You you would like to be able to do that, right? And, of course, one of the biggest uh, fears and one of the biggest uh, mind blocks that uh, human beings have is the fear of death, right? So you have um, religion covers your individual fear, but science covers the entire species, right? Because we can't imagine that one day the human race would become extinct, right? So science covers that. They'll tell you that you don't have to worry. We have the technology to keep the human species alive indefinitely, right? They'll tell you that if this planet uh, becomes unviable to live on, we can just go and terraform a new one. They tell you that. It becomes a religion. In itself. And what it becomes is it's no longer science, but it's called scientism. And scientism is the religion of science that is not backed up by the empirical numerical numbers of science. In other words, one and one equals two. With scientism, it's whatever they want it to be. One and one equals three because I said so because I'm a scientist. And that's where all of this is going. You know, think about this, and, and I'm sure you have. All of these arguments can be dispelled if they would just show us what actually is going on. But we're not allowed to go up and we're not allowed to go to the sides. We're not allowed to explore the edges of whatever this is we're living on. They control space. They control the narrative and they control most of the people. And what I've really learned since I've written my book is that most people don't want to hear the truth. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from uh, Nietzsche. And he said, um, basically, people love to hang on. Here it is. Sometimes people don't want to hear the truth because they don't want their illusions destroyed. And I think so many people want to hang on to their illusions because it gives them comfort. And when you and I and other people like Michael start talking about what we think may be the truth, you get these visceral, emotional reactions because what you're doing is you're messing with the structure of their belief system. But if the structure of their belief system is incorrect, they don't necessarily want to hear what is true. They just want to have a reinforcement of a false narrative that they like living in. Well, the the other side of the coin to that 
is that the the corporations that are controlling the money, okay, if they want to go out and do a mining operation and destroy a good chunk of the planet, you know, they can turn around and say, don't worry, we have the technology, we can fix that, okay? If we if we uh, pollute the oceans, don't worry, we went to the moon for God's sakes, we can fix the we can fix the oceans, we can correct that, you know. That's the, that's that's what they claim for technology. They claim that we're so good in our technology, we can do anything. So the corporations get a free ride. And this right? is what Elon Musk is all about. You know, one of the companies that he's involved with is called Neuralink. And Neuralink right. is about transhumanism and the singularity. The end game for all of these people, and by all of them, I'm talking about the actual elite, the small group of people that are not compartmentalized, that actually run the world, the end game for these people is to become eternal, to have eternal life apart from the great architect. What, what uh, Kurzweil talks about, the singularity, uploading your mind and your consciousness into a machine and becoming eternal and never dying. That's where all of this is going, but it has to go down a treadmill of lies because without them building on these lies, they can't get to where they want to be, which is eternal beings apart from the great architect. You don't want to live forever. Oh, I'm going to live forever. Amazing. Not in this form. I no. see. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the only person who ever lived forever was Barry Manilow because mm. he said, I wrote all the songs and I was the alive forever. Or, I don't know why he said that. Well, Mick Jagger's still alive, so that's kind of amazing, too. Keith Richards. And if Keith there's Richards. a proof of immortality, it's Keith Richards. My God. <laughs> My goodness. That, you have a good point, though. Very well, good you. point. And this is going to be a little off topic, but I just have to say, with all the current conflict going on in the Middle East, it's still, like I said to you the last show, it's still very reminiscent of what was going on in 2003. We're not at war. It certainly just feels like it is around the corner. And of course, there's a lot of money to be made in times of war, as you both know. That's right. There always is. Somebody's got an end game there somewhere. Right now, the Fed is pumping billions, trillions of dollars into the market. And you have companies like Facebook and Apple taking that free money and purchasing their own stock. And so you have those five companies that literally are becoming the behemoths and it's going to be a technocracy. I really believe we're heading into that time period where it'll be a technocracy where companies like Apple and Google will, if not already run the world. They do. And, yeah, they do. They, yeah. They, these corporate, and, 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 these corporate entities, they are already bigger than, than government itself. And, and until the printing press and the dollar dies, it's going to continue. And, and once it dies, then war starts. Once the dollar is no longer the reserve currency, then the dominoes will begin to fall. Here's another thing for both of you gentlemen. I just always have found it slightly ironic, slightly humorous, that most people who were supporting Bush back, back during those years, during that time, uh, they were very much against conspiracy theories. And now most of those people believe in conspiracies in, in 2020. And conspiracies are real, boys and girls. That's why people go to jail for them all the time. Ironically, the most viable conspiracy right now believed by most people is that Jeffrey Epstein was suicided. It's almost unanimous that every American believes that he didn't die of suicide, that he was murdered. I'm glad well, that's, you, a cons that's a conspiracy. Right. I'm glad you believe that conspiracy. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. I don't know where Scott 
uh, lies with any of this, Scott. What's what, what is your I try opinion? To stay away. I try to stay away from American politics. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Um, like I say, I like to stay focused on NASA and right, right. Uh, the research I've done. I do find it interesting, and I do I do appreciate the comments and the and the different viewpoints. And yes, I found it very curious that Epstein uh, was able to commit suicide. That's rather strange, especially in this in in a controlled environment like that when he was under a suicide watch. Yeah, there's a lot of strange inconsistencies with the story, but we won't really know. Sadly, we just won't know. Now, before we jump further into uh, all the space talk, this brings 9-11 around the corner yet again. And 9-11 was a very complex issue. The first time the American people have ever witnessed something like this on American soil, of course. And I still recall many people being broken up by the event. I still recall knowing people going overseas and dying. And there were no weapons of mass destruction anywhere. You know, I still even have a hard time believing they dumped bin laden's body into the sea i'm not sure where you were both of you gentlemen lie with that i'll take it i was uh i was actually working in houston on on the radio when it happened and you know you come to find out that donald rumsfeld says on september 10th that the pentagon has lost a couple trillion dollars and then you find out that that plane that hit the pentagon just happened to hit the office where they were doing that uh audit allegedly and then you have Building 7 coming down about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and Larry Silverstein, who was the owner of the World Trade Center, is on tape saying, pull it. So obviously there's a lot of inconsistencies to it, but it's one of those conspiracies that's extremely dark. Very what I dark. enjoy about what Scott was talking about with you know the moon landing and even you know what I talk about, the flat earth, is that it's, it, to me it's, 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 uh, it's fascinating – and in many ways, it's uplifting. But nine eleven, boy, that is one dark. It's pretty cloud. dark. It's pretty dark. I just had to quickly mention it here and see where both of you lie with all these things. And we will get back into get back into all these things right now. And of course, I have to bring this up yet again. We sort of went over this the last time you were here, Scott. But I did want to talk about the nineteen eighty six uh, Challenger that exploded in just seventy three seconds. The last time you were here, Scott, I mentioned that some people out there believe the Russians and Cubans played some sort of role uh, with that event. I I don't believe that uh, there was any conspiracy on them trying to uh, blow that machine up. I believe that was just highly technical error, okay? When you put together a piece of machinery that has hundreds of thousands of pieces that need to be very accurately and meticulously fitted and finished, and absolutely no way to test it beforehand, you're liable to have a problem, right? Things can go wrong. You're dealing with uh, huge amounts of force on acceleration and thrust, vibration, sound waves, everything else, and then the temperature as well, right? Any, Any little error by anyone, and humans make errors all the time. Just look at the car companies, how many recalls you get, you know? That I don't believe that there was anything intentional in that particular accident. I believe it was just a, a matter of time before it would have happened. It's I pretty, believe that, yeah, it's a pretty wild. It's a pretty wild story, but that that's something that's been uh, circulating on the internet for quite some time. 
Well, a lot of people forget is that it was extremely cold. I just Googled. Uh, it was actually 36 degrees at the launch, and it was freezing before that. And, you know, a lot of the engineers were saying, don't launch it because the O-rings will be compromised because of the freezing temperatures. And apparently that was the cause of the explosion, a failure of the O-rings, which was due to the cold temperatures. But I don't – I'm like Scott. I, I don't believe there's any – Conspiracy or nefarious dealings going on with that. That was just that was just something that happened. Maybe it was a question of pride. They wanted to launch it. A lot of people were watching, and they didn't want to disappoint people. Yeah, they say during the Cold War, Russia and Cuba had some sort of agreement and uh, something to do with uh, some base out there near Havana. The Soviet had a base base out there, and that's about less than a hundred miles away from Key West. And um, apparently, allegedly, some sort of laser beam hit hit the space rocket and that's what made it explode. But interesting enough, if you guys remember, what was it, 2018? Uh that there was some sort of um neural weapons used out there in, in Cuba. Do you guys remember that about Americans going out there and feeling sick and some of them even dying? Yes, I believe that there are some weapons out there that we know very little about that are very deadly. I mean, Scott, are you I wanted to ask you, are you familiar with HARP? H-A-R-P. Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, actually, it's H-A-A-R-P. Yeah. It's, it's the um, – it, it's uh, some people say it's a weapon. It, it actually controls the weather. It has – it's kind of tapped into chemtrails. It's um, based out of uh, Alaska, and it shoots beams into the ionosphere, and allegedly it can control the weather and actually be used as a weapon. Well, I I do believe that they're developing uh, different kinds of of pulse weapons, and um, I I mean even even the military uh, and police use sound waves to control crowds, right? Right. When you get up around 140 decibels, I mean it's uh, the about the pain threshold that a human can take for sound, right? You increase the sound beyond that. Okay, just the vibration alone, depending on the pitch, will heat something up until it actually cooks it, just like a microwave. Yeah, and that's what this does. It's the uh, high frequency active right. research program, and and it does kick into the ionosphere. And they're talking about it in tandem with chemtrails, which are you know aluminum and barium, and actually steering and being able to control. Uh, the track of a hurricane or to create or prevent a uh, weather front from hitting a certain area is basically weather control. By the way, by there's the a long range acoustic device, the LRAD. Yes. Yeah. That's some serious stuff too. It certainly is. Yeah. You definitely don't want to mess with uh, any of those sounds that you would be nicely presented with. If you are um, thinking about writing. Well, well, the thing is, is, uh, as, uh, Human beings, we want to control our own environment. We've always done that ever since we started putting clothes on, you know, building fires, building houses, uh, gave us the ability to expand into much greater uh, temperature ranges as a species and survive, right? And the quest hasn't stopped yet. We, do, we want to control it all. We want to control the, the sun, the rain, the weather, everything, right? Yeah, we really do. We really do. And before we jump right back into the moon, did either of you gentlemen see the Space Force logo that looks very much like the Star Trek logo? 
I just pulled it up an hour ago before the show, and it looks exactly like the Star Trek emblem. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a replica. It's really odd. Um, Scott, what are your thoughts on the whole uh, Space Force? On, on the Space Force, as far as them uh, putting uh, military equipment up there sure. or defensive systems, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's always been a desire to do that. There's always been a desire because if you, if if you're the one that uh, is the leader actually in space, okay, and you're over top of every country, not only can you you can control the information, but you can control the action of every country in the world. I mean, it's uh, it, it's just uh, no different than any. Uh, uh, James Bond movie. Well, like. well, Ronald Reagan did it first. Wants to control the world, right? Yeah, Ronald Reagan did it first with the Strategic Defense Initiative. Yeah, well, it, it never happened because they can't keep anything up there. And that's where you come in, uh, Lee. Yeah, uh, you go back to 1957, and the only thing the world can agree on is the Antarctic Treaty. After Admiral Byrd goes down there and says it's a continent larger than the U.S. with minerals and all kinds of uh, unusual artifacts, if you will. And so they seal it off. And then the year after that, they create NASA. So what happens is in 57, they ban us from going to the edges of whatever this is we live on. And then the following year, NASA captures the space above, not allowing us to go up to see what it is we live on. And then you have guys like Elon Musk, who sends a car a Tesla into space, and he's asked, is, is that fake? It looks really fake, your car in space. And he goes, it's real because it looks fake. So what you're getting is an actual real-time George Orwell 1984 doublespeak. They are the magicians, and they run the world. Guys like Elon Musk, uh, the, you know, uh, the gentleman with Facebook, they're all running this place. And there's a very few few there's very few of them that actually run the joint, but they control the story. Yes, that car was quite the uh, quite the amusement actually, especially with the uh, fisheye lens. They I don't know what kind of fisheye lens they were using, but it was very fishy because that Earth looked like a tiny little marble, and it was dwarfed by his car, and it just looked so fake. A lot of people and, were saying that, yeah, that it looked fake. The, it part, was fake. the part that got me the most is the batteries ran out for the camera. Mm. And here is an electric car that can run for eight hours producing 200 horsepower, but it can't run a camera for more than four hours. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And Scott, yes. j- just to go back in time really quickly, do you recall where you were back in 1969? In 1969, I was just starting high school. You were just starting high school. So you were a freshman in high school, and the whole talk of the moon must have just been a subject that was a hot one for you guys then. When I started grade nine, the science teachers, they had the plastic Saturn V rocket in the corner. All we did is watch the MIT uh, movies from the 1960s. They're all online all of the development through of of, a, of the uh, different aspects of the thing that that went through all through high school like that okay and the teachers were enthused about it they 
that was a topic every time you walked into science class, you were talking about NASA and the moon landings. Okay, there's no reason when you're a high school student that you wouldn't believe your teacher. That's true. Okay. Yeah, no one ever thought of uh, ever questioning that. Why would you question it? Yeah. Uh, like it, it was the most marvelous thing on the planet to have, right? And they were talking about uh, future inventions, like by the year 2000, every household would have a robot, personalized robots to cook and clean and do all your stuff, right? And things like that. About the only thing that we have that is that has uh, come through from the 1960s is basically our phones. Okay, you had the old Star Trek communicator, right? Flip it open and go. Everybody has a phone. Yeah, everybody sees people on the phone. That's everything how, else. Everything how else they, ever happened. How were they able to make that phone call to Richard Nixon? Yeah, good, good question. Well, he was just behind the screen on the other side of the set. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a very difficult time believing that we actually went to the moon in 1969 due to the simple fact of the computer system and the navigation system. I mean, good Lord, our phones now are just immensely more powerful than what was around in 69. It, it's really difficult to believe that we depended on, we depended so heavily on, on that navigation system. It's it, amazing. It's, they it's landed crazy. on the moon and when they took off, there was no blast crater. And it's amazing that they were able to keep a camera on the ground and pan up as the lunar lander was taking back off the moon set. Uh, there's so many inconsistencies with the technology. Your, your cell phone today is so much more powerful than all of the technology that was used by NASA in 1969. Just one single cell phone. By the way, someone in the chat room, sorry to cut you off, but someone in the chat room mentioned Stanley Kubrick tech. However, I don't think Stanley Kubrick had anything to do with the moon landing. They wouldn't need a director. NASA has plenty of uh, stages, by the way. I kind of take a different track on that one. I'm a believer that Amazing. Stanley Kubrick did shoot it because it was a year after 2001. And uh, I really believe they were looking for someone who was credible that could shoot this on a soundstage. And I don't even know if it was shot on a soundstage. It, it looks like some of the topography matches that of Arizona. Scott, your take. My, my take, uh, Stanley Kubrick probably, um, his, his technology was there. But more than likely, the man that did all the magic for Stanley Kubrick was Douglas Trumbull. You know, and he's still alive today. You know, going back to this question, you know, it reminds me somewhat of what Bill Casing was saying. I think he mentioned, I think he what mentioned, did he say? well, I'm trying to remember exactly what he mentioned, but I think he talked about it in, in his book that he made. He mentioned something about it being filmed and like, I'm not exactly where he said, but he did give a specific place where it was allegedly filmed. Apparently they matched up the landscape with a spot in Arizona. I I have done quite a bit of research on that, and not only have I matched the landscape up to Flagstaff, the Cinder Lake, but all of the documentation, all of the the um, training schedules for the astronauts, put them on that location at the same time. All of the equipment was there, all the simulation equipment was there, even the large gantry cranes. The they uh, blew craters into to match. Um, the Apollo 11 landing site, 
they actually built Hadley Rill at Cinder Lake to do simulations with. Okay. And then if you look at if you look at the um, color plates on the front of each of the magazines, they have the date and and uh, time that they're that those uh, photographs were taken. Okay. And those match the exact date they were doing the full simulation trainings on those sites. Pretty pretty straightforward when you look at it at those angles. And you have to realize that these people were being interviewed. They were in the media all the time. So they couldn't be somewhere else because when they came off of the their training simulations, they'd be on the radio, they'd be on TV, their picture would be in the newspaper, right? They're being interviewed every day. So they have to be there when they say they're going to be there, right? And if they went, if they flew back, there are, there are flight schedules back and forth between Kennedy and Flagstaff. And the television interview immediately following the return from the moon, allegedly, uh, you would think they had just uh, seen their probation officer. You would not find three guys more depressed or not wanting to be in a certain place at a certain time. It, it was just interesting to watch their body language, and it seemed as if they were trying to do their job but really hating the moment. And you would think at that moment they would be – talking and expounding and being extremely animated about what they had just done, which was unbelievable. It had never been done before, but you see three guys sitting at the table and they look completely out of place, depressed and uncomfortable more than anything. They seemed extremely uncomfortable talking about what they didn't just do. That's exactly that. They'd like to run away and hide and do anything. They're in front of millions of people. By the way, I Neil, found... I just wanted to add one thing. Is it true? Is it true, Scott, that Neil Armstrong did not give any more interviews after that initial television interview? They had to. He he would do little presentations at universities or whether maybe about once a year. Okay. They had to actually prompt him on the anniversary to go. All of these people quit working for NASA. They all quit. How about this? And that's what this, you, and I, and I read it. If you had a guy, if that's you had a guy that worked for your company, and he was the poster boy of your company, you don't have to sell your product. You have so much technology that you can go to the moon. You are 20 or 30 years ahead of every other company worldwide in your materials, technology, just insulation, glass, air conditioning systems, everything else that you've ever developed, fuel systems. Right. You have all that technology. Why didn't any of that get onto the commercial market? You have poster boys to sell that product for you. You are so far ahead of every other piece of competition in the world. And all these people just jumped up and quit. None of those products made it to the market. I mean, they had insulation. They had insulation around the claim. They had insulation around the, the fuel cells that it would take 10 years at room temperature to raise the temperature inside the fuel cells just by one degree. So it would take 10 years. And the stuff is like an eighth of an inch thick wrapped around the fuel cell. Well, if we had that insulation, wouldn't we use that on our homes? Wouldn't you start a company up and start selling that on the commercial market? Why did they destroy all of the technology? Why did they destroy all the telemetry? It was never there in the first place. The same reason that why they destroyed the Jeffrey Epstein uh, suicide tape. That's right. Well, they didn't destroy it because there was never a tape made. <laughs> they, pulled, they pulled it out and said, 
to the guards, you know, go down to Wendy's and grab something to eat, and we're going to let this guy come in the cell. And but don't you think that's you know, ironic? But don't you think that's so ironic? I mean, the moon landing footage, the original footage, you would think it's pretty goddamn important, but it was somehow lost, deleted, misplaced, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the same they thing they, they did with Jeffrey Epstein. There's one, there's one explanation where <laughs> they said they ran out of tape and they taped over it. What could be more important than the moon landing? <laughs> I love Lucy. I love you're yeah. right, and and also uh, Maud. Maud is a good one. Oh yeah. my, yes, it's it's quite hysterical when you think about it. And by the way, I found an interview where Bill Casing was asked uh, where the location was, and he mentioned Quebec. Out of all, out of uh, I'm not sure why he said that, but he he mentioned in in in, in this interview that it looks like the moon, and that astronauts spent some time there, and also in Nevada. And there's also an Air Force base near San Bernardino called Norton Air Force Base. And he says that's where a large stage is. So Bill Casing said a lot of interesting things in the past. And he yeah, also well, he also confirmed that what – go ahead, sorry. They did, training. they did do training there, and they did it in Hawaii as well. And there's lots of photographs of them shooting in Hawaii. Um, okay. And, and mm-hmm. they had the rovers there as well. Like they had some of the equipment there to train in Hawaii. And yes, there were other locations to work on. And part of that was to distribute the money to all of the different states, right? Because the initial input into into the Apollo program is because the United States was falling behind economically after the Second World War, okay? And that boost of money was put into the infrastructure to put, put the, the – uh, people of the United States back to work. So they divided the uh, workload equally across all of the United States, which included Hawaii as well. By the way, Casing also mentioned Gus Grissom. He believes that he knew that this was all a sham. Oh, absolutely. He hung the lemon out. Yes, that story. And uh, I mean, I I have many... uh, uh, I've, I've looked into it in detail on that, and you realize that the people that built that craft, the people that were doing the testing that particular day, were experts in the field, right? PhDs, everything else. They knew every inch of that spacecraft, okay? And they put those three men in there and put them in a 100% environment uh, environment inside that craft. However, these men were in spacesuits. If they want to test hundred percent oxygen on the human body. They only had to put the oxygen in the spacesuit. They didn't have to fill the entire cabin, right? They're looking at uh, at a biomedical result of them being in hundred percent oxygen, right? You don't have to fill the entire spacecraft full of it. You only have to just fill the spacesuit, okay? And it took them twenty minutes to open that door. And this wasn't the first time that they had an accident using 100% oxygen. It wasn't the second or the third or the fourth. That was the eighth time that they were testing with 100% oxygen. They used animals before that. This was the very first time they used humans, okay? And they had many accidents before that. So now they're sitting there. They don't have any fire equipment. They don't have any safety equipment. They just got three technicians sitting up there. And not one of them is bright enough to say, hey, smash a window open and get them the hell out of there. Right. They also knew that when the flash happened with the oxygen, that it wouldn't blow the windows out. They knew it wouldn't blow the doors out and they knew it wouldn't kill the astronauts 
because they were protected inside their spacesuits and they're being fed they're being fed air into their spacesuits with umbilical cord, cords so they'll stay alive. They couldn't allow that door to be opened until they were sure they were dead. Also, so I, it took 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. They knew exactly. These guys are professionals. They knew exactly how long it was going to take to kill them. By the way, I just wanted to quickly recognize uh, Ham, who was the first hominid launched into space. That was a chimpanzee, for those that don't know. Much respect to Ham. He died for a good cause. Oh, that's nice. Poor guy. <laughs> But yes, well, he, had, he probably had a fun trip. He probably got treated better than the other employees did. Probably most humans, yes. But my God, that's a interesting um, story about Gus Grissom. Uh, this one here where allegedly he said a few minutes before he burned to death, he said, hey, you guys in the control center, get with it. You expect me to go to the moon and you can't even maintain telephonic communications over three miles. Do you think he actually said that? I think it was between two buildings. Or between two buildings, yes. That's also yeah. something. Did he say that, though? Do you think so? Yes, he did. And My it goodness. is recorded. You can watch a video on his last words. My goodness. It is online. So that means NASA knew. They knew exactly what they're doing. They yeah. hired the best professionals in the world, remember? They don't make mistakes. Allegedly. That also means that Walter Cronkite was also in on this. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Amazing. You know exactly what's going on. Wild stuff. Very wild stuff. And of course, now I think we should get into some of, some of the slides and photographs you had talked about in regards to the suit that they wore. Well, absolutely. Where would you like to start? Yeah, let's just start from the beginning. What? On the, the Aula site? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. The very, the very first photograph up there. Uh, that you're looking at is the uh, the glove, yes. Large gap in the glove, and the actual ring connection is at the base of that gauntlet where they connect. Okay, so if the if the seal isn't connected to the suit, okay, they're just using this as a uh, costume to run around in. And if you're on Earth running around in a garment like that, you're going to get pretty hot. So. You're going to want to get as much air in the suit as you can and hide it as much as possible. And if you look at that, you can see it's kind of pinned down on the front corner there. I've got the front of the suit where the dirt is. It's, it's just kind of pinned on there. But the actual right down where you see the other band where uh, right at the glove between the gauntlet, that is exactly where the other ring connection is. So there's about three inches space between it there. Oh, by the way, hold on one moment. Uh, Lee, can you see that photograph? No, I can't. Uh, what do I need to do to do that? I think I'm going to have to send you a link unless you are in the chat room. Uh, right to the, right to the all the site. Huh? Or I could just send you. Yeah, I'll just send you the URL. Yeah, just tell me what the URL is. I can just pull it up. Send it to you now. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Yes, I just wanted you to uh, follow along here. This is quite interesting stuff. The spacesuit is bizarre. And, of course, the temperature on the moon is about 150 degrees during the lunar day, maybe even higher than that. And I'm not even sure how that film it's even a, it's survived. It's boiling temperature if you were on the moon. Right. And I'm just thinking, so how they use special film, apparently, but I just don't think that would even sustain that sort of heat, let alone a live feed. My God. Well, that's, that's why we're doing vacuum testing mm -hmm. on the film itself, because when you get to a, a certain level of vacuum, 
uh, you start to get off-gassing of materials, right? Just to, just as you take um, and put water into a, a vacuum chamber and it boils at room temperature, right? It, it'll boil away. So you have a you have every material has its melting point. Every material has a boiling point. The vacuum is replacing the temperature of the water to create it to boil at room temperature. Okay, so there's an association between temperature and and vacuum or pressure or lack of pressure. So if you bring if you bring the the vacuum level down low enough, okay, and plastics uh, melt in the uh, one one twenty degree Celsius to about two hundred and forty if it's uh, uh, if it's the SDR film, right? It'll start to melt at that point and it'll start to off gas. And when it starts to off gas, it's going to dry out. It's going to get very hard and brittle. Okay. And it will not roll up onto a film. Okay. And the, the uh, emulsion that's in between the layers of plastic of the film is going to dry out and you won't be able to take a picture with it because it'll just become hard. It won't be able to photograph. Right. Now, some of the film. Some of the film was outboard on the Apollo craft all the way from launch. Okay. The outside of the CSM, the, the, um, data camera on the outside that took one frame per second, so called when they were orbiting the, the moon stayed out there the entire trip to the moon while it was orbiting the moon. And it wasn't until they did a, a spacewalk to pick it up to bring it back inside before it was back into a pressurized system again. Now, if you look at this, uh, the next picture down, which is uh, Neil Armstrong full suit, which is figure four. If you look at the glove right there, when I was talking about the, the other glove, you can see the ring connections there. You can see the length of the gauntlet, and you can see where the ring actually is, where it actually has to connect together, right? When that gauntlet is up, there's a good three inches of space on that. So when you're looking at the top photograph and you can see you can see the ring that's there, you know there's no way those two could be connected. The The next series of uh, photographs down here are running through the history of the initial stages of how the suit was developed through up until you get to um, the Apollo missions. And when you get down just past where uh, Buzz is putting his sunglasses in his pocket there, the next photograph down there, this is an example of how the shoot, suit should be made. You're looking at a, a suit with an outer abrasion suit and an inner bladder with um, with flexible joints in it and stuff like that. But the suit that is on display, the the figure four suit, doesn't have any of that inner bladder inside of it. And um, as we scroll down a little farther through the different uh, suits, you get down to figure 10. Is everybody on figure 10 there? I was showing everybody figure five with Buzz Aldrin. Yes. Mm -hmm. So figure okay. five. If, yeah. If you scroll down to figure 10. Figure 10. Okay. That, okay. Ah, okay. I see it now. Now you can see that that inner bladder is not inside that suit. They just have a, a foam comfort layer. And you're looking at the back of the suit with a zipper there. And the ring, of course, that steel ring has to be sealed to the suit. And that's the back side of the suit, and the zipper comes up there, and there's a great big gap. You can't pressurize that suit. Like, the air is going to go right down the, like the, the vacuum. The air is going to escape right out the back of it. It's not even sealed to it. The ring is not sealed to the entire suit. And that bubble helmet 
the so-called ceiling onto that red ring. And the only thing that's holding that on, uh, those are just like door hinge clips. They, they just snap in and out. There's no way to uh, compress the seal. And when you're in that level of vacuum, not only do you have to compress the seal, the seals are would have to be made out of steel, not rubber. You get beyond a Tor value of 10 to the minus 6, okay? And you can't use rubber anymore. You have to now use metal metal seals and one time use only metal seals when you're out that far. And to give everybody an idea where a uh, Tor value of 10 to the minus 6 vacuum is, that is 130 miles off the surface of the Earth, okay? You go out beyond that and it really gets to severe. You're into a really hard vacuum, okay? And now the International Space Station is sitting at, uh, at 255 miles, 400 kilometers, and you're at a tor value of 10 to the minus 7. You're already getting into off-gassing. You have, you have to use one-time only uh, seals on it. So if the space shuttle was coming up there and locking onto it, you're going to have to have a crew outboard to replace the seals before the next space shuttle can hook on. You do a spacewalk if you went out through um, your airlock chambers. Before you come back in, you would have to have brand new seals on it before you could lock the door and seal it again or it wouldn't seal. And just for the sake of conversation, why would NASA go through all the uh, trouble to fake the moon landing? Had to prove that they were the most powerful nation in the world. They had the highest technology. Okay. And it's, and basic, basically the Apollo uh, and NASA were uh, a military mission, right? They're all the, like the, they were all military men, right? They were working for it. That's a, it's a military operation. They made it look like it was an independent uh, uh, space mission on a, on a different type of mission. But the, the idea was, is to prove to the world that they were the most powerful nation out there. And just for fun, what would convince you that we did go to the moon? Uh, if I could have lunch at uh, Donald Trump's Plaza Hotel, <laughs> you know, on the lunar surface. I like that. Okay. And what if someone had the money, you know, they just had uh, just an absurd amount of wealth and they wanted to um, buy you a ticket to take one of these uh, trips out there around the you know, an orbit around Earth. You like, mean like Virgin Galactic? Yeah, like, you know, like Elon Musk and like Virgin Galactic and the, the rest of them. If someone wanted to pay your Wait, way, would you do it? Space? Would you believe that Virgin Galactic is going to space? They're going to tell you. I have a hard time believing. They're, they're going to run a commercial uh, flight that you can buy a ticket on. I forget how much is it. Quarter million dollars. Like a quarter mil, yeah. Yeah, and they're going to take you for an orbit around the Earth. Mm, I don't know. Okay, if I told you I'm going to take you to the beach, <laughs> okay, I'm going to pick you up, I'm going to drive you to the beach, and the beach is 62 miles away, and I stop and let you out, and you're still 44 miles away from the beach, would you say you went to the beach? I'd say no. Because Virgin Galactic flight is only at 100,000 uh, feet. That I didn't know. Okay. Interesting. They are forty. They, when their their space flight is forty four miles short of the Kármán line at sixty two miles, which is the official space. That's where space starts at sixty two miles, right? And they're only going to go up, and they'll be forty four miles short of it. 
Interesting. And um, what about you, Lee, before we move on from this topic? Would you take a trip out in outer space? I, I don't think I would because I have a little bit of a different take on it. I don't I don't think it exists. Yeah, you think there's a dome, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Go ahead and explain. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of hard to explain, but... It, yeah, it is kind of hard to explain. I, I, don't I have believe. seen the footage, though. I have seen footage. Uh, since we last talked, I, I was looking at a lot of Flat Earth videos, and there was an interesting one about a rocket uh, apparently hitting the dome. I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, I don't know the veracity of any of that, but as I mentioned earlier, and you know, as we've discussed on previous shows, sure. I've... Uh, I've been fired from <laughs> that's right a, ne- a network job over talking about this, but uh, since I'm not getting paid tonight, <laughs> uh, I do believe the Earth is flat, and I don't believe you can land on the moon because I don't think the moon is what they say it is. It's a light. That shit is so I'm- crazy that you got fired. I definitely want you to explain to the listeners that aren't privy to this. Yeah, I was working. Uh, well, I was working in Texas for six years talking about crazy stuff. And then I, I got a network job out of the Austin area. It was national. And some guy called in and started asking me what I thought about the flat earth. And I said, well, you're crazy. I had the same reaction everybody had. And then I spent eight months trying to disprove it. And then I became a believer. I started talking about it on the radio and the uh, management was not happy. And so they told me to uh, please go away and don't come back. That's crazy. Yeah, but I do believe that you can't go to the moon because it's not what we're told it is. I believe it's actually translucent and is, in fact, unlandable because it is, in fact, a light. And the sun is a light. And we are in an enclosed system. We live in the Truman Show, I believe. And I've had this belief since 2016. Brooke in the chat room agrees. She said the Truman Show. Scott, Scott, your take on this. Well... I, I uh, have looked at a bit of the uh, uh, flat Earth uh, commentary. I I don't have an opinion on it personally. Okay, I even though I did uh, my videos with Paul. Okay, we stayed away from that. We stayed directly on topic and produced the videos for for the thing. But here's a question for you: If you wanted to take a flight and you believe that whatever your beliefs are, whether the the Earth is flat, round, Rubik's cube. It doesn't matter. I mean, a Rubik's cube, you can give it a spin anytime you want, right? That's the way I look at it. Um, but the atmosphere goes out about 400 miles. If okay. you were to would go straight, like to have a nice, would you not like yeah. to take flight and have a nice? I, I sure would. The easiest way to disprove it is to go straight up. You don't have to go to the edges and disprove that Antarctica is not a continent, but actually an ice ring. The the easiest way to disprove the flat Earth is to put someone in the rocket and fly them straight up. But I live here on the Space Coast, and I have yet to see a rocket go straight up. Every single time they go up and they curve out to sea. You'll find them all in the ocean. Well, they're all in the ocean because there's nowhere to go. You can't get out of here. But you're right, Scott. I would. The easiest way to, to disprove flat Earth is for NASA to put a flat Earther in a rocket and launch it straight up about four or 500 miles. At that point, turn around, get out the video camera, and let's prove it one way or the other. And you could do the same with the Hubble telescope, but I don't believe that exists either. I believe they have uh, put that in their box of tricks and magic like everything else. But yeah, 
just go straight up. It's real easy to disprove or prove, but they don't do that. Right. Well, the the biggest problem that they have, even with that, even at 500 miles, let's assume that now the Earth is a ball, at 500 miles, you still can't see the curvature. I disagree with that because uh, I live here on the coast, and uh, the way it works, and I wrote this in my book, if you're six feet tall, like me, six one, you can see out three miles on the horizon. And at that point, it begins to look like it's curving. But I've actually taken out binoculars. I've seen boats go over the horizon in what appears to be the curve. I've taken out a pair of binoculars. I've done this myself. And I've brought boats back in. Also, uh, there's a place called St. Joseph, Michigan. It's 60 miles across the lake from Lake Michigan in Chicago. Chicago should be 400 feet under the under the curve, but you can see the entire skyline on a clear day. So there's there's the issue of curvature, and I'm of the school that the curvature doesn't exist. Well, that's what I said. If you if you went up if you went up only 500 miles, you're not up high enough to distinguish. You'd have to you'd have to go out about uh, 20,000 miles to be able to to uh, look at the Earth and take an actual snapshot. Okay, well, let me ask you this then. Why is it that the International Space Station is nowhere near that altitude, and yet they constantly show videos of the curvature? They're not high enough to show that. They're using a, a fisheye lens. lens. And everything they do, they put, even when they uh, shoot model rockets up from universities, they put a fisheye lens on it. Right. They put a balloon up that goes up 100,000 feet. They put a fisheye lens on it. Absolutely. And, have you seen those have you seen those videos with the weather balloons where the guy I think it's dog something at 120,000 and it's completely flat? No. Yes, I've watched those. Yeah. What would convince you? Would you have to go up to a certain altitude like you said and if you saw that there was no curvature then you would be a believer? What is what is it that's preventing you from going down that rabbit hole? I I, I the litmus test. I I just would like to focus on on the Apollo stuff, right? And everybody, everybody that um, is into the flat Earth, right, wants to talk to me about it because they want they want to put NASA and the flat Earth together, and there are two separate entities on it. I don't have an opinion on the flat Earth. Everybody has their own personal opinion on it. Um, you know, and I, I've looked back through all of the uh, religious documents and everything else. You know, with the uh, the, the earth sitting on the, the pillars of God and things like that, right? And all the different religions worldwide over thousands of years, right? Um, I, I, I just like to stay with my, my NASA stuff. It really doesn't matter to me, like I said, whether it's round, flat, or a Rubik's Cube, because at least if it's a Rubik's Cube, you can pick a blue spot and give it a spin once in a while, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Good. But by the way, okay. let's say let, let's say the Earth was flat. Then what, Lee? The question is, and I get, this, I, get, I, I get this question. Yeah, I get this question all the time. If it is flat, then there's intelligent design. Amazing. I mean, isn't that? And and I know, Michael, you're you're an atheist. Sure. But isn't that the conclusion? Seriously, I, I want to get an answer to this. Uh, if it was discovered it was flat, would that not make you believe there has to be some sort of intelligent design for you personally? I don't know if that's enough for me because nature, uh, everything in nature is 
like geometric. Everything sort of has yeah. this um, weird thing about it naturally. I've come, but to I'm not sure if that would be God per se. So, are you more of a pantheist? Uh, well, I mean, it just depends on the mood. I mean, sometimes I'll say I'm an atheist. Sometimes I'll say I'm an agnostic atheist, but it's all the same. What do you believe, Scott? Uh, even if the Earth is round, it's still intelligent design. Okay. That's good enough. Yeah, he believes fully. I, I, um, Scott, what, what exactly do you identify with in terms of uh, religion? Uh, uh, religion is man-made. What we, what we have here, what we understand as religion is man-made. Do you accept that, Lee? Oh, I, I accept his uh, right to believe that. I, as you it know, I'm, I, as you know, I'm. A, I'm a, it doesn't mean that there isn't another intelligent design out there that we don't understand. Okay. Well, but that's true. Fair point. Our, our religions that we have on this planet are created by man. By the way, designed to control people. By the way, someone mentioned um, Felix. He's uh, the gentleman from the um, Red Bull Jump back in uh, you, 2012. If you watch that video, and again, this is what Scott was talking about. Yeah, someone, in the, Lens. someone in the yeah, chat room was bringing that up to you, um, by the way, yeah. Lee, trying to disprove, you know. Saying, yeah. yeah, if you watch the video, mm -hmm. you'll see that if he looks outside the fisheye lens window, the earth is curved. But if you take a, a look at the shot just before he leaves the capsule, it's flat. And that video is so fake with that fisheye lens. It looks like Elon Musk's car. One thing I've really learned in the last year, and this is probably the most important thing I've learned. When I first wrote the book, I, you know, I was prepared for all the ridicule. But I've gotten to a point now where I really don't care. And before I was saying I, I did care or I didn't care as sort of a defense mechanism. But I really moved to a point where I don't care if people believe what I believe, my job is to just tell people what I believe. And now it's almost as if I'm becoming immune to the criticism because I, I expect it. But I also expect most people not to believe what I believe. And I know a lot of people don't believe what Scott believes. But in reality, a lot, of, a lot more people don't believe we went to the moon than what I believe. But I also don't believe we went to the moon. I'm a, I'm a roundheader. Is that what, what we're called, the roundheads? Uh, I don't know. I forgot I think the name. A, are you a glober? Is that what it's called? The globe head? Scott, what would we call, uh, my I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea the lingo that we're being described <laughs> oh, that's as. That's so funny. Uh, in our beliefs. I, I love mean, it. Everybody wants to put a label on everything and everybody wants to take a poll. Oh, yes. And see what the percentage of the population is. And the one thing I do know for sure is that the percentage of people that do not believe that anyone landed on the moon is far greater than what the polls are. They suppress those numbers greatly. I don't even know anyone who's ever been involved in a poll, to be honest with you. Well, they have different different versions of it. Apparently, uh, the UK crossed the 50% mark. I think young people especially. For example, I have a 31-year-old daughter and a 34-year-old son. They both believe we didn't land on the moon. But when I bring up flat earth, they just tell me they love me. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a difference. Uh, but yes. I think Scott's absolutely right. Uh, I think they're skewing the numbers uh, dramatically because I think everyone born after the advent of the Internet, which is like 1990, 
a, a majority of millennials now don't believe we landed on the moon. I mean, because it is, they're doing their own research. I mean, it is kind of hard to sort of even grasp that we went to the moon when you actually look at some of um, some of the footage of the astronauts walking around. I mean, the constant falling was kind of um, silly. You would have to be out of your mind to just in the event that you damage that suit that is so-called keeping you alive. You puncture that suit, not just one person, everybody's dead. Nobody's coming back. It takes all three of them to, to get there and back, right? I have a gif right now, by the way, Scott, in the chat room of the astronaut uh, jumping around, falling down. I mean, it looks so silly. It looks fake. Well, there's a few of them there where you can see that they're actually on wires with balloons because the balloon, you get a little gust of wind and the balloon drags them off and tips them over. There's plenty, plenty of videos to that. Of course, uh, if he's, if they're posting stuff up there, all they have to do is look at the Apollo uh, 17 wet flag that I have. Yeah, we're going to get into that. That's another very vital uh, piece of the puzzle here. And I will definitely bring that up right now. And I'm not even sure Scott has, uh, Scott, I mean, uh, Lee has even seen that. It's pretty remarkable, by the way, Lee. Okay. I, I, keep, I keep looking to see if they've updated the files on the different websites to see if they've hazed out the uh, wet flag. I'm going to throw that up right now. And actually, even more important than just the wet flag, this is from the uh, slideshow, by the way, Scott. And yes. this is from the water. You could see water is peeling up the, the paint between the glass. Oh, yeah, that's been there for quite a while. And then, of course, you see that they why, – why would they put a, a rain guard on the outside of a spacecraft? Have you have you seen that by the way? Lee? You you got to go in the chat room and, and see this photograph. I'm uh, googling it right now. This is pretty ridiculous. I'm not sure if you're going to find it there, but this it says all American flags on the moon are now white. Um, what I can do is I can grab it here and I can put it up on the on the uh, our uh, messages here. Okay. Oh yes. So you wanted the wet flag? Yeah, I just sent him the um lunar module yeah i'll select that one i'm trying to find the the one with the flag the, yeah the water in the window right mm -hmm. oh okay i'm looking at it right now i just pulled it up that's crazy it. yeah was there a cold front hitting the moon that day i guess a uh, storm brewed in <laughs> yeah that's another thing that people claim to have seen bubbles during some of the spacewalks yeah that's what happens when you do your spacewalk in a water tank lots of water right all of a sudden you know. oh, there's a wet flag for you. All right. Oh, yep. In the PowerPoint presentation, that would be slide 34, I believe. Oh, okay, I'm looking at it. Okay. And here's the other one you were talking about, which is this one right here. Oh, and you also have the flag waving in another photograph, which is impossible. Yeah, one of, one of the um, most devastating things, of course, are the images of water in a vacuum. And of course, there's absolutely no way that there'd be any any uh, standing water. There shouldn't be moisture at all. Even even if they were did a simulation and had a bit of a vacuum in the in a controlled room to try and reproduce it, right? They wouldn't be able to actually do that. the The one that really this one here. Yeah, I do have that now. By the way, for those in yeah. the chat room, uh, the flag photograph. 
is up there in the chat room, and you could clearly see that the American flag is showing a wet spot there. It's quite big, actually. It goes all the way around. Yeah. This this one is also interesting because it it um, that I just popped up there. It just shows you that the the equipment was of course prepared in a clean room, loaded on a spacecraft, sent to the moon, and they dragged it out, opened it up, and then took a picture of it. And that last image that I showed you of the seismic experiment, it. There's actually standing water on it. Plus, you can see where the there's mold, and where the water has dried back with the with the dirt on it. it this has just been sitting outside on a on a simulation set, and it's been used over and over and over again until they did the final simulations. They never bothered to put it away. They never bothered to clean it up. They didn't do anything. Right. I have that but, image now up in the chat room. The equipment left outside to um, whether NASA is using these same props until it is in such bad shape. And that's kind of what we went over the last program, that they recycle their equipment. Yeah, it's very, very important feature that they were using the same set for all six missions. And that is part of my research and findings, right? And this is just one example of it. Um, every piece of equipment is being used over and over again. It's the exact same limb for all six missions that you're looking at, okay? And Apollo 16, when it took off, they blew the side panels off the thing. And Apollo 17, they have replaced the panels on the side and put a few things on. The bell housing was uh, damaged in Apollo 15, and it's still the same damaged uh, uh, bell housing in Apollo 17. Exactly the same crinkled, where the... Uh, Apollo 15, they actually dropped it while they were doing the simulations. And if you watch any of my videos, if you if you put in Faking Space uh, Season 2, it's on the Apollo Detectives site. And that video um, has been put together. The, the first six videos that Paul and I did is put together as one video. And you can watch the entire, uh, the, the main parts of my research are all in that one video. And now, for fun, I do have a animated GIF in the, up in the chat room now of the American flag just there, waving around, while the astronauts just uh, walk around. Is that Apollo 16 when they're shooting by them? I believe so. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah, and people are saying, oh, they touched it, or it's static, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Not highly likely. What do you think of that, Lee, these photographs? They're interesting, right? Yeah, they just they're just another layer of evidence that proves we never went to the moon. Well, what it's what my research is doing is showing you exactly how they prepared the set, how they photographed it and the exact equipment that like everything everything is non-functional equipment that they were using. They they were just props for the set, right? All the experimental equipment is just hooked up with uh, an orange band. There's no actual wires in the, the cable, right? And they just stick them on the bottom of uh, a frame. They're not plugged into anything, okay? And the astronauts, because they wanted to expose the fraud, they took the central station, which is just a square box with foil on it, and they opened the foil up. And what should be inside is, because it was collecting all the data from all of the other experiments, there should be all kinds of equipment in there to collect the data, uh, digitize it, and then transmit it back to Earth. 
and it would have a great big battery in there, about uh, almost uh, about one and a half times the size of a, a car battery is supposed to be in there to power it. Great big computer and all this collection data and so-called hard drives long before a hard drive was invented. Okay, is on there, and then and then the all the uh, equipment to actually transmit it back, a radio thing, and there, it doesn't even have a an antenna to send the signal back with, right? But they ripped the foil off and showed it. There's nothing inside. Now, by the way, Scott, I have one of the most interesting slides and photographs up from your PowerPoint presentation. Uh, that would be slide 40 of the can of beer. And yet again, it goes back to Quebec, back to what Casing mentioned about some of the various stages. Uh, well, of course, uh, uh, Canada had some participation in the uh, Apollo missions because they actually made the landing legs for the, the the Eagle, right? They're the guys that designed those folding legs in that lightweight aluminum on there. The The beer can just happens to be parked there for someone to take a picture of one of the whistleblower astronauts, right? When they're out on the set, somebody just dropped one in the dirt there. One of your and, naysayers, by the way, Scott, in a video was mentioning this um, beer can photograph and saying this was purely um, paradoia. Uh, it, it really looks like that, doesn't it? Right? There isn't a footprint around. I mean, you can't have a piece of metal on the lunar surface uh, that reflects like that and has a label on the side of it. And I don't care how you do it. The guy is, uh, he can call me a liar all he wants. That's a beer can. You know, and he can show it to all of his friends and they can tell them the difference. Right. And that's the same with all the, all of the other images out there and the cars and everything else. Right. If you don't believe me, show it to your friends. How do they get the go-kart on the moon? The uh, uh, lunar rover. That's a, that's something I never quite understood. How did you get, how did they get that big go-kart out of the lunar lander? Out of the lander? Well, it was actually attached on the side on quadrant one, which if you're looking at the, the ladder of the lander, that's on the right-hand side of the ladder when you're looking at it in the photograph. You mean it was exposed like a surfboard on top of a car? No, it was actually covered. It was covered in mylar foil, right? And the equipment that was in there uh, on 11, 12, and 14, they had to remove all of the equipment that was in there just to put the rover in. So those quadrants run back on a diagonal 90, right? So they made the, the wheels to go back on the uh, thing. I'll, pull, I'll actually pull the uh, image up again with the... Rover, because I have that as well. We haven't even talked about Buzz Aldrin's watch yet. My goodness, another great yeah. photograph. We'll talk in a, in a minute about here. Yes, well, there's there's a, there's more watches. I haven't looked up all the watches and the times on the different ones where you can actually see the time on the watch and compare them to the uh, journal files when the photograph was taken. There, that that particular image there. Shows you shows the difference between Apollo 11 and Apollo 15, where they've where they've put the rover in, and it folds up into that area, and it has uh, some swing arms that pull it down. The wheels pop open, it unfolds, and the way it was supposed to to run 
And of course, they would have practiced that and made it work. They, they, they would have built that thing and made it work so that it would unload and operate like that to the ground here. But then they would have to put the batteries in and they'd have to put the seats in and then all the other equipment on board. It would probably take a couple of hours, uh, even if you're doing a simulation, to get the thing set up properly. There is one video. It takes nearly an hour for them to get it unloaded. And uh, time-wise, on Apollo 15, they claim they had it in about 17 minutes and driving it around. Yeah, but if you're doing it on a soundstage, it's a lot quicker. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. The, simu the simulation of them showing it on the ground just in practice was over an hour to get it set up. Yeah. But uh, they did it in 17 minutes when they got to the moon. So they got quicker when they got up there. I guess it's lighter. And now we have the photograph up in the chat room of Buzz Aldrin's watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the the time because they they should be on UTC time because they're they're being tracked so called worldwide and the communication links are coming through from everywhere, so they'd be on universal time. Uh, that watch is exactly set at at uh, Flagstaff time. <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty good. Are you, are you seeing the photograph now, Lee? I am uh, on Skype right now. Ah, yeah. I also uh, I also googled it. Yeah, but that watch is that watch is actually set there on that that if you look at if you look at the journal log when the actual photograph was taken. Okay. Yeah, I sent you the photograph there. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually it, it's actually at Flagstaff time because that's where they were doing the simulation. And of course, his watch would be set to that time because that's where they were, and that's yeah. just another verification of where they were. When the simulation was made. So was the moon landing shot on a soundstage or was it shot outside? They would have shot the descent uh, in studios, the the orbit uh, of the moon, the translunar injection. All of that would have been shot indoor. Okay. They were using those large models or, um, and their rail tracks that you see, those images they have of those and their maps, those were all done inside. Everything these the astronauts were doing, as far as I'm concerned, were done strictly outdoors. Okay? okay. When you see the water, when you see the damage, when you see the paint peeling off, like when you get to Apollo 16, the limb, the paint's peeling off it everywhere on the outside. Okay? It's just left outside in the sun. Right. Right? They didn't even bother to take it inside. And when you get into the rover and you need a larger set, that's where Cinder Lake comes in, right? That's where they're running around. That's where they built the model of uh, Hadley Rill, right? And if you look at the images of Hadley Rill and realize that that thing is supposed to be, uh, they're standing beside uh, a rill that is supposed to be 1,200 feet deep or approximately the same height as the Empire State Building, straight down and a mile across, okay? The simulation set for the rill that they built is about 150 or 60 feet across and about 60 feet down. And that's what you actually see in the photographs. And you can compare that with the using the physical size of the rover sitting at the side of the rill. I mean, at, at 1,200 feet, you wouldn't be able to see the rocks. You can see you can see very clearly defined rocks on it. Okay. That rill is supposed to be is approximately the same width as Meteor Crater in Arizona. All right. And over twice as deep. Okay. And you you look at any of the photographs of, of Hadley Rill and it's not even close. But it's about the same size as they built 
for the simulation at Flagstaff on Cinder Lake. Now, Scott, I hate to interrupt you here as we're getting deep into the subject here, and I'm just blown away, but we are coming up on a break right now, and I definitely want you to stay here. We have so much more to talk about, especially with this photograph of Buzz Aldrin's watch. I wanted to bring up what it says here about Masonic signs. I I wanted to mention, was he a Freemason? And I thought we could talk about that when we returned from the break. Yes, certainly was. Uh, that's actually David Percy that did the research into to um, that for his masonry and stuff like that. He he included that. Interesting, but yes, we are coming up on a break right now in a couple of moments, and Scott, you will be able to hang tight uh, through the break, right, and return with us. Correct? Oh, absolutely. And what about you, Lee? This has been fun. I definitely don't want you to uh, bail out yet. Oh, sure, I'll stick around. All right, gentlemen. Well, we will. Return in a moment here. We are going to go on a little break, boys and girls. And when we return, we will jump right back into the Apollo moon missions and why we think they never happened. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. And welcome back to the second half of the program. And of course, I am joined by Mr. Lee Austin and Mr. Scott Henderson. Boys, what's going on? Oh, well, we're just waiting to come back on and continue with this uh, little chat. This little shindig here, right? Yeah, spacesuit shenanigans, I guess they call it. Yeah, NASA, never a straight answer, they say. Yes, that's that's one of the many. Hmm. <laughs> By the way, Mr. Lee Austin, did you enjoy the break there? Yes, it was uh, invigorating, stimulating, uh, one of the better breaks of my uh, radio career. I know. you got to love those breaks. Get a refuel, get to go uh, drain the lizard, as they say. A lot of lizards down there in the Southern California desert. Uh-huh. Especially in the backyard. Yeah. I'll but go. you're out there in Florida where the iguanas are falling out of trees. Actually, I'm only about... Within an hour of NASA, I'm right down the road from uh, Cape Canaveral. Oh wow, you're pretty damn close then. Yeah. You could, can you see the launches? Yeah, I go down to the beach. I watch the launches all the time. Cool. Can you see Cuba from where you are? Uh, yes, because the Earth is flat. Amazing. Oh, I thought you said, "Did I have a Cuba?" Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it was flat. She was flat. No, the Cuban was flat. The waitress was well busted. Ah, okay. Well, I mean, that brings us to another part of my news here. And usually on the second half of the program, I would 
be going into some of the current musings and news that goes on. And um, a lot of that was coming from uh, your city of um, Florida, or your state, your state of uh, Florida, Lee. A lot of uh, human trafficking that's been going on out there. It seems to be a huge problem out there for those in Florida. Well, Florida is uh, a destination state, usually a place people go before they die or go to jail. Oh, my. Uh, specifically, the St. Petersburg Police Department. They were announcing that they have a, they received a, a lot of money, a new grant, basically to start going after more of these human trafficking cases that go on out there in Florida, in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Dark well, times for our friends out there in the 305, for sure. It was, there was a period of time where all the craziness was in California, then it moved to Texas, and now it's Florida. Oh, but well, they still... even have, they even have a name, a name, uh, Florida man. I mean, they're still crazy out here, too, in California, for sure. Yeah, but I think Florida is really taking the crown. There's a lot of crazy people here. My goodness. Now, before we jump right back into NASA news, I definitely want to get your opinion, Lee, on this woman, apparently from Nevada, apparently a Nevada woman who killed roommate trying to shoot spirits, she claimed. This comes from uh, this woman by the name of Kiana Hawkins. She was sentenced to 11 to 28 years, and she pled guilty to a charge of murder, and she entered the plea agreement. Andre Smith was found dead in the apartment they shared. They, I guess they found him with a gunshot wound to his head. And uh, our friend Kiana there told dispatcher she believes spirits have killed her roommate, and she uh, basically compared the experience to being in a virtual reality video game. And that's what she told police, and she shot the spirit in self-defense. What are your opinions on that? My opinion on that is it sounds like she may have had a demon inside of her. It sounds like it, right? Yeah. Crazy. I just pulled up the story. Yeah, you see, I wasn't making that up. No. Some wild no, people and, out there. You're going to see more of that, I think, as we enter whatever period of time we're in. You're seeing more and more of those kind of cases where people claim they heard voices or acted on voices and many times it's spiritual now what do you make of that by the way scott people that claim they were possessed or a demon was in someone and they had to act upon that well obviously she killed the demon uh -huh. <laughs> that's true she did <laughs> that's that that is a fact you know like um i i'm quite sure there's all kinds of um psychologically impaired people on this planet we tend to keep them alive we uh abuse them as much as we possibly can until they act out that's yeah, sad yeah it is sad very sad and of course the house impeachment still going on i'm not sure where you lie with that lee your thoughts and opinions well, anyways i'm like scott i'm a political atheist i don't have much of an opinion on it uh i look more at the macro Right, I don't right. really think it matters who's the president. As long as the Federal Reserve keeps pumping money into the system, the machine will keep running. And the day that the petrodollar is no longer the reserve currency uh, is when the whole thing collapses. So it, to me, it really doesn't matter who's in charge because the president really doesn't run the show. I'm already tired of the whole impeachment thing, to be honest with you. It's, I didn't even, it's yeah, so draining. I, I don't think anybody's paying attention. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It, it's so damn tiring. And of course... 
the other lady, the the other latest musings going on was um, some sort of recording of uh, Donald Trump demanding to get rid of Marie Yovanovitch. Apparently, no. that's like a hot topic right now, too. No, not really. No, nobody cares. I heard the audio. I I didn't give a single damn to be honest i, I didn't even no, care no, for it nobody cares he could say anything he wants I, I mean does it even matter at this point no nothing matters yeah i don't think so i i think based on what i've seen he'll probably get reelected as long as the economy is good people don't care i i just i think most people just have tuned out i think so too and on, and on the last show we had a guest on here by the name of luke prophet who was saying he was going to get assassinated and uh, Luke, I mean, Luke, Luke was, um, I don't know. He's a very interesting gentleman. And Lee, you sort of um went after him a little bit there. It was, it was kind of amusing. <laughs> to you, it was. The it was very amusing, of, yes. The first rule of comedy is if it happens to you, it's funny. If it happens to me, it's not. And and what happened was Luke started, he he, he said in the book of Revelation that John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy we're in the book of Revelation, and they could be the two prophets. And when he said that, I was just – he caught me off guard, and uh, Michael said I should yell at him. And so I did what <laughs> Michael told me to do, and then I was admonished for it. That's true. But it was yeah, my fault. Yeah, he believed, he believed JFK and RFK were could be two prophets in the book of Revelation. That was good stuff. That was great stuff. Yeah, I was entertained. Oh, yeah, it's entertaining. He, he emailed me, though. He said he's going to come back as soon as it happens. Yeah. Yeah, I felt bad. Oof. I hope the feds aren't listening. You might give them a visit. Well, yeah, I mean, he said it, not me. That's true. That was um, that was um, quite interesting stuff there. If anyone is um mildly interested, you can go back and listen to that episode. I would suggest you do if you want to listen to some pretty wild predictions thrown around. I guess we could say that, right? Predictions. Yeah, you could say that. That's one way of putting it. That's one way. So back to the crooks of things here back to the nasa apollo moon missions here that we firmly believe did not happen right you wanted to look at the watch yes let's go back to the watch and there's another image of the watch that i have which is uh 65 in the presentation 65 yeah ah okay i see it now Okay, because that re- that relates uh, a little more closely to what we were talking about, these spacesuits just being costumes. Yes, sir. And you can see that on, on the top picture there, the, the shot down the glove, you can see how far that ring is down inside that gauntlet. And so that's just right about, just above where the watch band would be. And then the red ring, which is on the sleeve, is about three and a half inches apart. It, it simply isn't connected on that suit, right? And that watch, of course, is 14 minutes after 11, and which is mm-hmm. which is uh, absolute uh, Flagstaff time that it's on, and it should be on UTC time, which it would be actually uh, 14 minutes after four o'clock in the morning, is what the watch should say. And I've sent you the photograph, by the way, Lee. All right, thank you. You could check that out there, and yes, it's another. Interesting piece of the puzzle here. Yes, and we have a, a friend of mine listening for sure from Australia. I'd like to say hi to Tim. Oh, yeah, greetings. He's out, He's out there listening. He's a film expert, by the way. Oh, wow. Uh, in the movie industry. And uh, 
he actually showed me uh, quite a bit in the in the uh, exactly exactly how to do the simulations uh, for the landing and everything else for the Apollo missions. He he showed me quite technically how to do that, and he was using um, the the Superman video as an example of how to make something fly. By the way, is he safe from the fires? Uh, he's. He's away from the fire. He's he's on the uh, east coast of Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty wild stuff happened out there. He was showing. He was actually showing me uh, the hailstorm that they had. Extreme flood and hailstorms. Hail uh, stuff the size of baseballs going right through cars. Wow. Just that uh, they went from they went from the fires to extreme flooding, and then he said it went right back up to forty one degrees Celsius. Yeah, that's a headache then. Yeah, it's just very extreme weather they're having. My goodness. But yes, now we are back to looking at Buzz Aldrin's glove here with the watch. Yeah, like I said, that, that watch should say, if if you look at the timeline and when that photograph was taken, that, that photograph was taken 56 minutes after he set foot on the surface of the moon, right? And he set foot on the surface of the moon uh, uh 316 uh, UTC time. So it's, and it's an hour, it's 56 minutes after that when this photograph was taken after he set foot on the moon. So it should be basically 414 is what the watch should say. And it says 14 minutes after 11, which is Arizona time. Is it safe to say they were busted? They've been busted up, down, left, right, and sideways, and nobody <laughs> will believe them. And I mean, that's been going on for. 40 years, right? I mean, by the time you get into uh, the early 2000s, when uh, Marcus Allen and David Percy um, did all the photographic examinations and everything else that really proved that it was on a set with the multiple lighting and the shadows and everything else, right? And uh, what uh, Bart Sabrell has produced showing uh, how it was being filmed and how they how they uh, inserted the image of the earth in the window and stuff like that. People still don't believe it. Okay. So all of those people are encouraging me to come ahead with the evidence that I now have showing exactly how this thing was set up, how it was, how, how the, uh, the, the timeline when they were there. Okay. Um, all of, all of the photographs with the color plates and the, and the actual date and, and, everything else on it i mean has the it has the photographer and right on the color plate who is doing the shooting of the film right it's on it's not only on the film but it's on the, all of the uh, photographs all the magazine photographs right those color plates are there for every one of them and they're all available online nasa's not hiding it it's a that's the, that's, the, that's the interesting thing uh slide 12 on the thing is the is the is the color plate for Apollo eleven? Slide twelve, you said. Oh, sorry, sorry, it's for Apollo seventeen. Yeah, slide twelve. Mm, Apollo okay. seventeen. I right? see it now. And the the date on there is actually a couple of weeks before they even took off, right? Like the uh, November twenty eighth, nineteen seventy two, right? Let me throw that up now for the chat room. And this is another reason why you should be in the chat room for those that listen to a replay of this only in audio format. It would be nice of you to actually go back uh, to YouTube and look at the visual presentation of this. These slides are 
uh, pretty captivating once you fully understand what they mean. Right. And then when you look at, at the rest of the detail, it shows you the camera and everything else on it. But it also has the photographer and the inspector are right there. I mean, the, those people were not on the moon. So why would their name be on the color plate? Right? And the other thing is, is people say, oh, well, they did the color calibration before they took off. That was done beforehand. Well, that's impossible because if you did a color calibration on Earth for the magazine for the camera, okay, and then you stepped into space, you're not going to get the full spectrum of light, right, included UV light, which completely alters the color of everything, right, black right. light, right? And if you are if you're below the ozone layer, right, and everything else is filtering out all that UV light on Earth, you wouldn't be able to do the color calibration and have anything come out, right? If you're on the moon, you're going to have the full spectrum. It would have to be calibrated there if they did a color calibration. And those people wouldn't be involved. By the way, you <laughs> saw the um, video of that rendition from NVIDIA, that uh, graphic, the video game graphic card company, where they basically mapped out the moon. Yes, and they absolutely got it right. They did it just like any other photocopier. They took an image and they reproduced it and digitized the whole thing with their software. And what they did exactly is when that sunlight is shining there, okay, they reproduced the the diffusion of light through atmosphere coming off the sun. They got it exactly right. That was pretty they crazy, proved, right? They proved, well, they were trying to prove that the reflective light mm -hmm. was coming up against the spacesuit. They forgot, they forgot that the the sun should just be one bright light. It shouldn't have any diffusion of light coming off of it. And they got that big halo around the sun in the thing, and that wouldn't happen in space. That only happens if you're in this atmosphere. I'm Do not sure many diffusion of light. They reproduced it 100% and proved that it was on the Earth. I don't think I mentioned that to you during our last interview about uh, that company sort of recreating the moon landing here yeah well uh, you can uh, animate anything right that's right they just proved okay. they could easily be faked they just proved that you could fake it through animation right but disney was doing that before anyway how ironic and um it seemed like a lot of them were sort of uh, some of them really didn't believe we went either well that's that's true also you have to realize that um nvidia had a contract with with uh, NASA to produce uh, graphic cards and and uh, cameras and stuff like that, right? Capture cards. Very good cards, by the way. Yes, they are. I, I use them all the time. They're excellent. Um, that's how I look at the uh, photographs, using their technology to find all this stuff. But they actually canceled the contract to produce anything for them because they could not meet the, the requirements. The radiation was just destroying their cards. Um, it's on the report, um, NASA's report server has all the test results from, um, laptops, screen displays, and video cards are all on there. And I think the, the best laptop that they had lasted 43 seconds before the radiation took it out. You know, that reminds me of another topic I have never mentioned to you, and that has to, uh, do with the Viking one orbiter. Back in yes. 1976, uh, the Cydonia region 
uh, most specifically the faces on Mars. What exactly was your opinion on that? It was such a hot topic as well in the 90s. Lots of people were talking about this. You would even go to Vaughn's or any supermarket and you'd see tabloids about the faces on Mars. Your take. Uh, I don't. Well, first of all, I don't believe that we can communicate or send images back at that kind of distance. And one of the main reasons why I don't believe that is that the Earth is surrounded not only with the Van Allen belts, but there's about 10,000 kilometers of plasma within those belts. And if you realize anything coming back um, from orbit, coming back down in as it heats up the second there is a bit of plasma. When it heats up, that there's that little bit of plasma around the outside edge of the craft as it's descending. They lose radio communications with it because of the plasma. So how can you send a signal through 10,000 kilometers of plasma? Right? Go to MIT and see what they're doing with plasma antennas. They can reflect. Plasma reflects a signal almost perfectly. Okay? So they are creating plasma dishes as communication devices, right? The the uh, Van Allen probes in 2012 mapped the uh, Van Allen belts and the plasma layers by bouncing radio signals off of them because they bounce off so perfectly, they get a perfect image. Okay, so you can't have you can't say you can communicate through it if everything is bouncing off of it. Ali, were you going to jump in there? I was just thinking I. Don't believe any of those photos are real. Oh, of the oh, the faces no. on Mars, those things. Yeah, I, I just think it's all fake. You think it's all BS? I don't. I don't even think Mars is a planet. And here we have people wanting to go to Mars over the moon. Yeah, well, the <laughs> Mars is in Greenland. All those shots are probably coming to us from Greenland, just like all the moon shots came from Arizona. That's very odd. Very strange indeed. And I'm, I'm sure when you saw that initially when you were going to Vaughn's at 11 p.m. at nighttime there, I'm sure you looked over to your left and saw the same tabloid magazines as the rest of us did. I, I oh, even sure. remember as a kid seeing Bat Boy and all that crazy shit. Yeah, I remember all that, the faces of the face of Mars. And oh, yeah. I just, ever since I wrote the book, and especially, like I said, in the last year. Tell, tell us about the book, the by the way, for those that don't know. Go ahead. Oh, well, the book is called Morningstar's Tale, and it's written by Lucifer, and he decides to tell the truth on how the universe is put together. And in it, he explains that the Earth is flat, and he explains that planets are not planets, and that it actually is just uh, sentient beings, that it's lights, and that everything it, – it basically is Lucifer telling all the trade secrets of the spiritual world because he won't – he knows that no one's going to believe him. And actually, I had in the in the uh, the uh, interview I had this past week with that college station, it gives it more credibility. And she said that, ironically, having Lucifer tell the world how things work, the world embraces it more than if I said it. And in the book, uh, he says there are no such things as planets, as in a place you can land a ship, and that it is actually light. All of this is light, like the moon and the sun, they're lights. And if you look through a telescope, nobody ever sees what we see that NASA gives us. We don't see a red planet. We see a flickering light. Well, now we come back to uh, our theoretical physicist, right? 
like the, the, it's, the well, it's, yeah. like the little lights in the sky, and they theorize on the size, the distance, the temperature uh, to try and create the size of the universe. And of course, you physically can't get out there and measure it, so nobody can say that they're wrong. Right. They give such huge numbers, and I believe that the reason the heliocentric model is propagated is to instill a sense of hopelessness in people. When it, we are told and we believe that we're just a speck of dust on a remote planet revolving around an insignificant sun, it gives people no hope. But if it's geocentric and everything revolves around us, then there's intelligent design and we must be special. So their job is to make people, give people a sense of hopelessness, and that way they won't stand up to, to the control and the manipulation. Yes, but their science and their technology will save the human race. <laughs> right. Because we yeah. went to the moon, we can do anything. We can fix anything because we went to the moon, for God's sakes. Well, and this is part if, of the great delusion. If this planet's no good, we'll just terraform a new one. And, and, it's, and it also gives credence to the idea that there is no creator, but there are intelligent beings out there. And that's part of what I believe the great delusion is about, that eventually – we will have that moment of disclosure, but it won't be what everyone thinks it is. It'll be something completely different. Yeah, that reminds me of what people were first initially talking about in the UFO community. They were talking about how when Trump mentioned a space force, that this was some sort of a disclosure of sorts. And I thought, oh, no. Oh, boy. Back to this again. It has nothing to do with disclosure. I just thought some people were jumping the gun again, as usual. I just think it's another way to make money and of course it's institute more control. I don't really think there's a lot of thought involved when it comes to anything with the word Trump in it. I don't get the impression that he's sitting in the White House right now reading Dostoevsky. I get the impression that he's laying in bed with a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken on his uh, bulbous stomach and yelling at the television. And he's probably licking his wounds too because he really can't take criticism. No, he's an egocentric. He's an egomaniac with low self-esteem. He's the type of guy that if he was an alcoholic and he showed up at a meeting, he would take it over and turn into a speaker meeting featuring him every time. You're not talking about him. He, he He's a classic narcissist. Absolutely. No. That's why I don't talk about politics because I just end up getting irritated. And when I realize that he's not really running the place anyway, the, the president doesn't run the show. Well, the way uh, I see it coming from a position in Canada, where we have a very stable economy, stable government, and, uh, you know, if things really get bad, we might write a letter to somebody. Said, <laughs> yeah. Well, I like I, my mom. Is, uh, too much, we might get angry and write a letter to, to an MPP <laughs> or something like that. Right. Uh, my mom was born in Nova Scotia, so I'm actually half Canadian myself. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and, you, ha and you have national health care. Uh, the United States spends most of its money on the military-industrial complex, and that's the reason we don't have national health care. And as soon as you bring it up, uh, you're called a socialist, but yet we have corporate welfare for the military-industrial complex, which is where most of the money goes. And a big part of the reason why we don't have health care, and Canada does, because Canada spends its money on the people. Even though they're taxed heavily, they do see something from their taxes. That's, that's what the government was designed to do, is to take 10 provinces, okay, and spread it equally amongst everyone. 
Okay, that's what the tax dollars go in, so everybody has a fair shake, right? And you also don't have as many people. You know, it's more manageable. I think there's, what, like 35 million people in Canada. United States, there's 330 million people. I heard there was another one born last night, so it's 35 million in one. (laughs) Yeah, but if he steps across the border in North Dakota, that works. By the way, Scott, are you far away from uh, Toronto? I'm about an hour and a half. It seems like there was the first case of the coronavirus out there. Yes, uh, we we have a pretty good healthcare system to lock things down. Yeah, I think well, there you, you go. Yeah, I guess we'll be fine out there. I went to Bobby Orr's hockey camp in Aurelia, Ontario. Do you know where that's at? You were playing hockey, Scott. I mean, Scott uh, Lee. You were playing some hockey. I worked in 1978. I worked at the High Women Inn in Aurelia. Oh, no kidding. Years, yeah. Yeah, I went to Bobby Orr's hockey camp. When, yeah. Right, yeah. around, right around the time we didn't go to the moon. Does everyone play hockey in Canada? Yeah, it's a law. I seriously think that. In my in my mind, I think everyone is playing hockey I and eating uh, waffles. I don't even skate. <laughs> I can't stand on a pair of ice skates. Are you serious? You can't skate? He needs to be deported. Right. Well, you know, like uh, like Bobby R. If you wanted to go see Bobby R., you'd go to Perry Sound, right? Yeah. Well, I just went to the hockey camp. That's where Bobby R. was. Yeah, well, they they own most of the town, right? It's a, what maybe four thousand population. They own pretty much the entire main street. Yeah, up yeah, there, they, they would walk around in hockey skates. They had uh, rubber mats everywhere. Those guys were intense. Yeah, like I said, I was only eleven and there's twelve. Some, there's some big guys playing hockey. Yeah, that's a good thing you didn't play later on. Yeah, it's a nice area. It's too bad. Too bad. Really, areas. Um, it's become kind of a bedroom of Toronto, um, and the last time I was there to to look at it, uh, the the unemployment in the Aurelia area for the local people is is well down. the The poverty level is just unbelievable. Really? Yeah, they're basically. I think they're going to take half the downtown core of the older housing, bulldoze it down, and just put everything brand new up. That's what it looks like they're doing because nobody's maintaining any of their houses anymore there. Uh, Barry has expanded, uh, just unbelievable. Uh, I went to college there and it was 40,000 people and now it's like 400,000 with another 250 just on the outside, like on the outskirts, right? And there's golf courses everywhere. It's beautiful during the summer. Yes, it is. Beautiful lake. Lake Simcoe is a beautiful lake to be on. Yeah, oh, I kind of want to, I'd like to go out there and, um, visit some of the mountain regions out there in Canada and even partake in some of the hashish out there too. Yeah, well, they, they're just running out. Is, is it legal? Yeah, it's been... No, it is legal. It's been legal since 2018, I think, right? Um, yeah, and uh, they just made it legal for uh, baked goods as well. And okay. uh, the government can't... they got to open more bakeries to make your hash brownies. And they're running out. You can't buy them anywhere. <laughs> that would be pretty nice to eat some edibles and just see some I, uh, moose I not, running around. I not take in any uh, drugs of any kind other than heart medication. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's it's one way to really control the population. You just keep them stupid and they're easier to rule, right? Just give them as many free drugs as possible and a good health care system and you're all set. Well, everyone's a winner with that. Yeah. That way you don't have to worry about who the next prime minister is because they won't come out and vote, right? No no edibles in your future, Scott. No, 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 no. None at all. None ever. 
I've I've uh, lost so many friends. Oh from no! Overdoses, even when I was in high school. I think the last time I think I had anything in my system, even alcohol, was I was a teenager. Oh wow! Been a long time then. Yeah, I don't drink anything. Nothing. Yeah, you're so. I haven't. I haven't had, yeah, I haven't had the hippie lettuce since uh, my twenties, and I haven't had a drink in. Uh, I've been drunk in twenty six years. Wow! So both of you are sober right now. Yeah, I'm the only one drinking a beer here. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, drink away. You're fine. Oh, I'm I'm loving the, the alcohol here, having a great time talking to both of you gentlemen and enjoying my night. It's hoping no cops are listening. You, you know, I don't know if you can broadcast and drink at the same time. Is that a, is that legal? I don't know if that's legal. I might get in trouble by the network owner. You might get pulled over and have to relinquish your cord. You know, that's one thing, by the way, um, Lee. I've noticed I get quite a bit of um, I get some heat every now and then. I get a little talking to every now and then from certain networks that I'm on. Because of um, that, I'm drinking a little, about, a little bit of alcohol here. Can you imagine that? Uh, you know, the one of the things I said about radio that sucks is that all the adults, all the all the people, all the kids <laughs> you wanted to beat up in a, in high school are now running radio. It seems like it. I mean, I get a talking to about this, about that. It's, it's 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 maddening to be honest with you. Everyone has some sort of rule. I'm not good enough for this. I'm not good enough for that. You can't do this. You can't say that. You can't play the sound of a flushing toilet i mean yeah. oh my god the fcc is ridiculous yeah uh really it's dead terrestrial radio for the i think it's just gone purpose is dead yeah it's dead it's i mean dead. I'd, I'd be happy to change my ways and of course do a show uh you know that they would want me to do i of course i can't do this show here i'm not gonna do the program i do every day not every day but the program i do here for the listeners it's not something that would translate well into um, certain radio stations out there. I've I've had that talk before, and I've always said, if you want me to do the show, I'm going to have to call it something completely different because this show here, the essence of the show, is all about freedom and, and doing an improv show, sometimes with notes, of course, but mostly improv. Yeah, it really doesn't fly on broadcast radio. No, it doesn't. I, you know, I think Joe Rogan... Probably is about the best example since his podcast is probably the most listened to. It is uh, completely unscripted and a variety of individuals. And you know that they're pretty much saying whatever they want. That's mostly what this show is. It's yeah. mostly saying whatever is on your mind. Yeah. And once you start doing that, you get spoiled. It's part dangerous. Of the I got, yeah, it was part of the reason I got fired from that job I was doing uh, because I had the same freedom. But who knew that one topic? was the one that was going to get me fired. I know. I can't even believe you got fired from your gig because of um, you, oh, the your, flat earth. because of your interest of the flat earth and you were talking about it so openly. And that caused a bit of heat with management, right? Yeah. Well, it was just that natural curiosity. I mean, I've always had that, especially, you know, with radio topics, we were talking about, you know, 9-11 and JFK and the moon landing and all of that. I just uh, have always been naturally curious and i'll listen to anyone's point of view and you know this one just really stuck because it was just so insane and then i go to disprove it and i can't and then i'm really stuck and so i started talking about it and that was it and it was a wrap they pulled you like uh, larry silverstein they pulled you out there my goodness well i do apologize for that i'm sorry you lost your gig because of the flat earth oh did we lose lee he I don't know where he went. We might have lost Lee there. 
Really? Yeah, he disappeared. Maybe maybe he got cut okay. off. Are you back with us, Lee? Uh, no. Okay. Okay, good. Lost in translation. That happens. That happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, Scott. Yes. You know, one thing that we did talk about last time was extraterrestrials. That's a subject that you don't touch. I... No, I don't. I don't get into that at all. Yeah, you don't really get into that. I, I was just curious. Um, what, what exactly is it? Because it's just too. It's not really something that interests you at all, right? Uh, not really. Like the 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 only uh thing I would say for a fact is if there were running around like some people think they are, everybody would know about it because right. If they had the technology to travel here, okay, they'd be far more advanced than us. And uh, they wouldn't have any fear of dealing with us at any level, right? They'd be fully exposed to us. Everybody would know they were here, right? They're why not would hiding they, in corners. My question is, why would they even want to be here? Uh, protein source. That's about all we'd be good for. I just don't think we're all that that great. I mean, that young, don't you no. think that sounds they kind don't. of selfish to think, you know, that they have to come here? They have to come visit us somehow? Well, you see, that's the arrogance of uh, the human race. Really, it is, yes. We cannot imagine. Uh, like I said, we can't imagine our own death, so we need to create an afterlife. Um, we can't imagine that the human race could become extinct or will become extinct, okay? And we certainly can't imagine in our arrogance that nowhere in the universe will it ever be known that we were here. Right. Right. We can't imagine that no one else, if there is life in the universe, we can't imagine that they wouldn't know that we were here. That's why we are sending signals out. That's why we're doing whatever to try and communicate to say, here we are. Our mind simply can't comprehend that, that, that we are that insignificant here on this planet. I mean, if you believe in other theories, flat earth, whatever, and believe that we are the central other thing, the whole thing changes. But in general, we can't believe as a species that we could just disappear and nowhere would it be known that we were here because this planet will just give a little hiccup and there'd be no trace of us. Right? By, the, by the way, Scott, eyes wide shut in the chat room. He says, does Scott believe in God? Eyes wide shut. I, I believe that there is something that is far superior to us. I don't believe that in God as a religious God. No, I do believe that mm -hmm. there is something uh, far superior to us. I believe that we may be intelligently created, right? I believe somebody is trying to call in, but I can't answer you uh, through Skype. You're going to have to use the phone number. And if you want to call in... That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. If you do want to call in, that is the number. If you are trying to contact me through Skype, I cannot answer you on Skype. I apologize. But once again, that number is 760-332-8724. If you have a question for either me or Scott or anything, really, that's the number. Don't be shy. Yeah. One, uh, if we go back into the my uh, presentation. Yes, sir. Uh, num number 22 would be a good one to pull up. Yes, let's go there. And yeah, 20, 
22. Yeah, let's go there. That's interesting. Now, this is from your presentation, slide 22. Oh, yes. And it is now up in the chat room, Scott. And now we have a call. They seem to be following instructions. That is, a, that's the first. Caller, what's going on? Caller. And they are not hearing me all of a sudden. Caller, what's going on? Oh, I don't think they could hear me. Hello? Hello? Are you alive out there? Hello? Oh, they can't hear me. That is terrible. I'm not sure what happened there, boys and girls. We seem to have lost the caller. And we might have even lost Scott. I'm not sure what happened there, boys and girls. Not good. Yes, I think we might have lost Scott. I'm not sure what happened there. Let's give Scott a call, boys and girls. I apologize. I don't know what happened. It seems like they got cut off there. I don't know why. Very strange. Very strange. Let's give Scott a ring here. And uh, yes, it's ringing. Did, did we log off? I don't know what happened there, Scott. We sort of got booted off all of a sudden. Really? Yeah, we had a phone call and then uh, the the caller couldn't hear me. And then I was talking. I thought I was talking to you. And then you were gone in the mist. I saw I saw somebody come up with a set of headphones on. I believe that might have been that might have been our friend. John? Yeah. Let's bring him in. I'm not sure yeah. what happened to him. He was um on video all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm not sure why he um appeared yeah, on video. Was, <laughs> that was pretty funny. He could cancel both of us though. And now it says that he's unavailable. I'm not sure why. Okay. Well we'll just go through these to were yeah, we let's just carry on. online when when we were talking about the other one? Yeah, let's just keep going forward here. Okay. This this particular photograph here on this uh on the slide twenty seven is the actual lowering strap that they used for the simulation to lower it down on the gantry crane right and they're before these straps and they and they were attached at the top of the landing legs and you see their shape that they can just loop on and hook onto them so when they lower it down when they relax they just slide off again they used the hammer and the feather and drop drop that so when they took the photograph of the hammer and feather they were able to capture the the actual gantry strap in there Right? And, of course, nobody notices that the gantry strap is there. They're looking at the hammer and the feather. Right? This is how the astronauts were able to photograph all of the fraud within the simulations. Right? It's a prime example. They are the whistleblowers. They were showing you the damage that was done when they took the photograph underneath the, the Apollo 15 to show you all the damage that's there Right from that. All of the other equipment in the related photos around it, the, the equipment, the, like the stuff is just thrown all over the ground. Okay. They weren't careful at all. Okay. And people criticize me and they go, well, why would they do that? Right. Well, these people were really upset. Three of their friends died. Okay. And the only thing they had, they couldn't go to the media or anything else. The only thing they had available, the astronauts to, to document the fraud, to, document that it was just a simulation that it wasn't the real thing were the Hasselblad cameras and those were just props for them the professional uh photographs with the Hasselblads were done by professional photographers and those were maybe three or four dozen that were used for uh media purposes only for magazine newspapers whatever 
The rest of the time they're out there, they had them just as a prop on their chest, but they were actually working cameras. And they just kept taking photographs of everything they could out on the set. So if there's a piece of metal sticking up out of the ground, or if it wasn't, they'd dig it up and take a picture of it. They kick open a rock, it's got spark plugs in it, there's rocks in it. If somebody left a beer can laying around, they took a picture of it, right? There are no random photographs. These guys were very dedicated in defending the the lives or the, the because of the deaths of their three comrades. That's exactly what they were doing with these cameras, okay? And they were risking the, the lives of their their themselves and their families at the same time while they were doing this. By the way, we lost Lee. Yes. Well, I don't see him trying to get back on yet. Yes, he is now gone. I believe he sent me an email. He says he's out. Okay. Yeah, his, his Skype and internet is um causing issues, so he's gone. He just sent me a heads up. Yeah, that happened to me once before when I was being interviewed. I got kicked right offline. That's weird. That I actually happens. uninstalled Skype on me. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but Skype has been terrible for the past maybe three years now. Mm-hmm. It's just so unreliable. Yeah. Uh, another good example of the of the simulation of cards are, are the cue cards, which we haven't talked about. Ah, yes, the cue cards. Which is... Uh, Way up there. Uh, 10. Yeah, 10, I was going to say. It's probably image 10. 10. 11. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good examples of it right there. And basically, these are these are little cue cards for the astronauts because it has... Uh, the exact time that they have to shoot it because they only have so much on the on the camera. They got four minutes of film. So the time time is there that they have to shoot it. The camera settings are there for them, where they're going to be standing. All the rock locations are there. I mean, you, if you're supposed to be on the moon, you can't have these details in there. What should be in the cue cards for them is all the metering for their life support systems, right? This particular cue card shows a rock it shows you it it gives them a description of what they're supposed to say on camera on what the mineral contents were when they walk up to a rock and crack it open okay it shows them which direction the sun is going to be i don't know how you know where the which direction this rock is going to be sitting all of that's there that is just to shoot a scene that's exactly what those cue cards are for and of course in the number 11 there that is for the Grand Prix. That's where they drive the rover around. It's it's called the Grand Prix. You can get it online. Yeah, you can me, see that yeah, for Apollo gonna... 16. And it shows where the cameras are going to be positioned. It shows where the craters are that they drive through one around the two and then around the last one and park it. And that's exactly what you see in the video. Okay. And then on the right-hand side, it shows uh, that's for Apollo 17. It actually has Jones, and that's the guy that's in Apollo 17, who's the inspector. That shows where he's going to be standing, so you don't want to get him in the shot. I just threw that up right now. Yes, I see it. That's exactly where he's going to be standing on the set. That's interesting, yes. To do that. Hmm, Why would they need this? That's the the best question to ask. Now, why would they need this? They weren't actors. Right. They had to get them go out. They wanted the they they were going to prepare a scene that this is the action that's going to happen in the scene. Right. And you can't communicate with the the astronauts. They got helmets on. They have they have their own microphones. You can't talk to them because otherwise you'd be it would be recorded in what they're recording uh, for their film footage. Right. And their communications. 
So they have to give them this so they can go out and shoot that scene on their own without any interruption. I mean, with the helmets on, they couldn't even do hand signals because they're blocking half of their view. So for each different scene that they set up for each station that they're at and everything that they're going to find and document is already filled in months ahead of time on these cue cards. And they're done there so they could practice it in the first place and do it for the final simulation. I mean, even the timeline when they're driving the rover, I don't care where you are. If right. you're driving a bush buggy, you can't tell me that you're going to be there right to the second to the next spot where you're going to stop. Because <clears throat> they're on the moon. How did they know where they were going to stop? How did they know where the next station was? By the way, one of the things that we haven't talked about, I don't think we ever even talked about it, was the rock with the letter C on it. Oh, the the famous... The uh, famous one, yes. C-Rock Apollo 16. Yeah, well, NASA has removed the C from the rock. It doesn't really matter how the C got on there. The fact that they removed it and claimed that it was a, it was a uh, eyelash, right? Well, I found uh, other rocks out there with lettering on it for them, and I also found the same C rock as in Apollo 11. Uh, 44, pull that one out, and uh, 45, those two, one after the other. This this uh, shot here from Apollo 16 also has lettering on a rock. That would be slide 44, you said, right? Yep. All right. Had to go through this thing here. I'm sorry about that. And that's just a little, that's just a little, when you go to a driving range and you get, grab a bag full of balls, 100 balls, they used to make little ones for golf courses that look like little, little golf bags. Mm. Right? And because it's owned by the golf course, GC's golf course. Right on the bottom of it. I think I remember you saying they were even playing golf at one time. There are golf balls all over the set everywhere. What do you think these guys are going to do in their spare time when they're not? They're building the set and they're out there. It's just a big driving range for them. The the initial shots before uh, in Apollo 11, when the, the very first shots before they even got out, there's golf balls all over the place. And that's not there. It's everywhere. There, there, uh, almost any shot you can find golf balls on the set. You just need a good NVIDIA graphics card. Turn the DSR up and away you go. All right. Zoom in. Uh, 45. Uh, 40, 45 is the C rock. Okay. There we and go. The C rock is found in Apollo 16 on it, but the, the photograph on the left is Apollo 11. Okay, and that arrow is showing there is the same rock in Apollo 11. They're on the same set in Apollo 11 as they are in 16, parked in the, approximately the same spot. Because the, that was a pretty big gantry crane. They didn't move that around much. That thing's about was 300 feet wide and 600 feet long and 200 feet high. All right? It could lift the, for simulation, it could lift the lander 180 feet in the air. Okay, and come down on the simulation. And there's even videos showing how it works online. And it was all set up at Flagstaff on Cinder Lake. But that sea rock is there. That rock is in uh, every Apollo mission. You can find it. And I will challenge. I, I'm showing it at 11. That's it. And 16 is the sea rock. Anybody else wants to do the research through these photographs and do the study that I have and find them, all you have to do is send me the file numbers when you find the rock. And then I'll know you've done this the research. By the way, by the way, I think we do have a caller oh, this God, time. This is even worse. Can you hear me, caller? Now it's gone. 
Can you Hello? hear me? Hello, can you hear me at all? I don't think they could even hear me. Oh man. Yeah, they're not they're not hearing us. That's that's not good. I guess we're gonna have to drop that call then. I apologize, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. I'm not sure why the calls aren't working right now. But moving forward. Yeah. Moving forward, moving forward. Um take us through slide fifty three now. Fifty three? Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty interesting there. Well that's that is a uh, on the right hand side that is the uh Sandusky uh vacuum chamber the, the Glenn research uh building in Sandusky and that building was uh I think 1.6 billion dollars in 1969 it'll pull a tar value of 10 to the minus 6 130 miles off the surface of the earth no human being or spacesuit has ever been tested in it okay they put other equipment in and test and see what the off gassing and everything else is on it but what I'm showing in the, the photograph are the eight-foot-thick concrete walls plus another two feet of aluminum and steel plus a titanium uh, ceiling ring in there to hold back one atmosphere on the outside to a toward the minus six vacuum on the inside. You need that much structure. And now you have to believe that that spacesuit on the left-hand side is as structurally as strong as that building is, and still remain flexible. It's interesting, really. Yeah. And when you understand the the power of a vacuum, um, people just say, well, it's it's one atmosphere, 14 and a half PSI. And when they get a, a hole in the space station, they'll take a, a canister with 15 pounds of air in it, and they'll open it up, and they'll say, that's how fast the air goes out, right? And that's how they claim, that's what they, they, they claim that the space station would leak down at, right? But we have other examples on Earth that you can use. That's true. And a slight variance in the barometric pressure, if you happen to be in Florida, right? And the two two pressure differentials are there, which is maybe a quarter of a PSI, is sitting out there over the ocean. When those two uh, lock together and try to equalize themselves, I mean, it creates a hurricane that'll rip your house to the ground or take your car for a fly a little bit of a flight right and knock it into your neighbor's yard that's the power of a vacuum that is the power of the differential of air pressure another good example of of a vacuum against an atmosphere is a lightning strike okay when that lightning comes down splits the air right and it comes back together you hear that clap of thunder right Scientists and everybody else say a vacuum does not suck. Well, that may be true. It can't suck on nothing because there's absolutely nothing there. But when we put something in an atmosphere, like a container with air pressure in it, in, uh, as air mass, air molecules, right? If, if that air mm -hmm. tries to escape, okay, they claim that the, the vacuum doesn't suck. So what it's doing is is the air is trying to replace its it has free space that it can run into and it will accelerate uh those molecules will accelerate in a in a molecular free space close to the speed of light very but, rapidly they're going to head out of there and the and the effect of that if you had a hole in there everything's going to collapse so fast it'll be like an explosion going off right by the way scott and, i think we are joined by another caller right now i'm not sure if 
They can hear us or not. Uh, caller, are you alive out there? Oh, they don't hear us. They are hearing the show, but they're not hearing uh, this call, apparently. I, I could hear the show in the background. My goodness. I guess the line is not working. I apologize, call, uh, caller. If you if you can hear me, I'm sorry. Yeah, th they are listening to the stream on delay. They need to turn off the uh, stream uh, to talk to us. They're going to be hearing a bit of a bit of a delay there. So that the phones are working. Just that person's not not um doing what they should. Before you call in, turn off the stream. By the way, then you'll be able to hear us in real time. I thought they knew that already, Scott. Yeah, I heard the funny. I heard the last caller coming in. But I didn't hear anybody on that one. Yeah, but as as a, as I was saying with the yes. vacuum, when uh, if you um, go to fifty one, fifty one, we'll go there right now. Ah, yes, I see it now. So these these are examples of the type of seals that you need to use here on Earth to create a vacuum. You need to have metal, like when you get out past uh, a Tor value of 10 to the minus 6, you're into metal metal seals, and they have to be compressed down tightly to hold that seal, right? They can't be active seals. They can't turn. Like when you look at the new design of the Artemis suit, right, and the, the thing slides back and forth at the waist round, those are active seals sliding back and forth, okay? They will work up to a certain level of vacuum, but certainly... Once you get out into space, they're not going to be functional at all, okay? As soon as you turn them, they'll just start to leak, right? And they can't be rubber because they'll just tear right off. But when you see that kind of a seal, and then they tell you with that kind of compression on it, and they tell you that um, a vacuum doesn't have any force. Well, they're trying to compare um, the force of a vacuum to PSI, and it there are two different scales completely, and people need to understand that. The Tor scale is is a measurement of the force of the vacuum. PSI is measurement of molecular structure, okay? And if you also try to compare a vacuum to being underwater, underwater is completely different. When you're underwater and you're in a suit, okay, the structure of the suit really doesn't matter as long as you compress the air inside the suit to match the pressure of the water outside, the suit itself has zero pressure against it. There's nothing happening with the suit. It's only when you have a differential that it has to make up. When you're in space, the the air inside a suit, okay, the suit itself has to maintain the entire force of the air pressure inside plus the differential of the vacuum. And the vacuum is infinite. The force of a vacuum is infinite. Even Einstein said the teaspoon of a pure vacuum is stronger than the total force of the entire universe. It's absolutely infinite. And as you go out through the atmosphere, and this is where people people don't understand how close, how very little we are traveling into space. We're traveling in the upper atmosphere is what we're doing. When you get up to the top of Mount Everest, right? You've already reduced you've already reduced the air pressure down to the point where you actually need oxygen as a human to breathe. When you're in an airplane at, at thirty five thousand feet, the reason why they don't fly higher than that, because it's it's far too dangerous for commercial aircraft to fly higher than that at this time, 
39,000 feet up is called the coffin line. And there's a, like the layers of the, the atmosphere are defined. Air is defined as water to air, like the surface of a lake to air. So that, there's just that much less dense when you hit these layers. The coffin line is called the coffin line because if you are, if you fly above that in a normal aircraft, the aircraft becomes un unstable because there isn't enough air flying uh, across the wings to create lift. The only way you can fly across above the Kármán line is you must be supersonic. Okay. When you get up, when you get up to the edge of space at 62 miles, it's a very defined line. By the way, in the chat room now, Scott, I have a photograph of Alan Bean from Apollo 12 using the fuel transfer tool. That's uh, despite the pressurized gloves having mostly no mobility. Oh yeah. Well, the, the, the thing is, is, you're in a full simulation, right? And those gloves can function beautifully because they're not pressurized, right? Right. Okay. Most of, most of the documentation from NASA claims that they couldn't they couldn't grasp a hold of anything under an inch. Their 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 thumb and their finger would be an inch apart. They couldn't grasp anything smaller than that. It had to be an inch in diameter for them to be able to grab a hold of something. They couldn't handle very fine tools or machinery and they didn't have any really with them you know that that's where the uh, artemis suit the the contracts are out for the robotics robotic assist to open and close the lobes. still hasn't been designed 50 years later still hasn't been designed and we haven't even gone back to the moon well we haven't gone back to the moon because uh we never went they're afraid to simulate it <laughs> we'll find out right yeah it's all very interesting like I said, like uh, I've been studying a lot on on the layers of the atmosphere because that's that's where we're doing the flight. That's where anyone looking into the NASA documents anything in the last ten or fifteen years, they're working with Boeing and uh, Grumman and a few other companies. They're developing engines for uh, commercial flight, like air flight, like airplanes, right? And they're looking at uh, supersonic and hypersonic drive engines. So that they can, because our, our skies are so full of planes right now, they need more space. They need to be able to fly higher and faster. So they need that forty to fifty thousand feet and that fifty to sixty thousand feet in there for hyper and super and hypersonic flight. That's the two different things, and they need two different types of engines to fly in those ranges because of the lack of oxygen. And that is what you're going to find if you go looking through the documentation. From NASA, that is their focus. It is not on traveling to the moon. It's not traveling to Mars. It's not anything. They're working with those companies for commercial air flight. The problem that they have when you get up above that 39,000 feet is if you have a, a leak in an aircraft, if you have a window blow it, if the pressure goes down, you don't need to have the uh, oxygen mass come down. You are in a low enough vacuum at that height, you will just simply die within seconds. The vacuum, you, you're, you're fully embolized your, your blood. You just boil it. No second chance. There's no, there would be no survivors. There'd be no nothing. And that is the problem with flying higher than that. If they have an accident, there's just no, there's no give at that height. And that's why at 35,000 feet, they can drop down oxygen mass, get the height down and you'll still be alive. Your ears might pop and a few other things, but 
um, your blood's not going to boil. You go higher than that, that's where the problem is. But we're so congested with air traffic that they need to do that. That's where the money's going to. That's where the focus is, okay? And they have to have uh, fuels that have their own oxygen on board. They're using nitrous oxide or whatever to make up so that they have enough fuel to burn to be at those heights. That's what NASA is doing. Very Nothing interesting. LSS or space flight or anything else, right? Yes. And by the way, Scott, we are now joined by another soul here. And I think she had a question for us and she was trying to get in through uh, the phone line, but I'm not sure why it's not working currently. I'll have to look into it after the show ends, but uh, go ahead if you had a question. Oh, me? Yes, go for it. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm a little frustrated after, oh, God. Technology can know, be right? very sucky sometimes. I agree. I I was. <laughs> it's a silly question. That's I'm okay. Kind of out of the mood, but anyway, I was just going to ask Scott. After all these decades of everybody being excited about the moon landing, no one has ever said where the hell did the moon land. We still don't know. What? What you mean? <laughs> You mean, I mean when they when they got there and documented no, all the stuff? No, no. It was a moon landing. Where did the moon land? Well, it's the other way around. We were supposed to land on the moon. The moon wasn't supposed <laughs> to land on us. It was a joke. Yeah. Was just, I, was, I just <laughs> yes. was gonna call in for a silly joke and all oh, That's okay. Well NASA, NASA has one hanging up somewhere. They've got murals of it. They've got clay models of the moon, okay? They've got stuff with rails on it that they run around to, to, to fake the moon landings on and the and the orbit around the I moon. I know, but if, if, if the moon landed, I mean, like, we're the closest planet to the moon. If the moon was going to land somewhere, wouldn't it be on Earth? And wouldn't be. we... <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott. I, was, I just wanted to bring some humor to the night, but it... Mm. It kind of got wrecked. <laughs> I'm sorry. You have a good one. That's okay. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Oh, yes. We do appreciate the humor, though. Yes. Yes, everybody needs to <laughs> to lighten up about this. The, the one thing that is that it really concerns me, okay, is my children, my grandchildren. Right, right. Are being taught that these things are a fact that we landed on the moon, that we have this technology, that we have everything else, okay? And, I mean, the U.S. government is reprinting the encyclopedias. They're paying to reprint Canadian textbooks to make sure it's in there. That's Their wild. information the way they want it. The, all of the old information, the, one of the reasons they want them reprinted is because the old information that's wrong that they want to get rid of, okay? And they want to update it. At the same time, but they're willing to pay for it just to keep the fraud alive. And by the way, Scott, Gang of Four in the chat room, he wants to know, Michael, does the guest believe we have anti-gravity craft? Not really, no. Because if we had them, we'd use them. Hopefully that answers his question. I mean, I watch Michael Carbonaro too, right? He does pretty good anti-gravity. I wonder what extent Gang of Four is talking about. Um. I think he's talking about uh, Area 51 and some of their uh, experimental crafts and things like that that are supposed to have anti-gravity 
uh, capabilities, you know, coming from alien spacecraft and things like that. I believe, I believe if, if we acquired a technology, we would use it. I think he's probably referring to what would be more safer than having an aircraft that can't fall out of the sky because it has anti-gravity. That's right. You wouldn't need runways. Okay. We'd have cars that fly around like the Jetsons did in the cartoons. By the way, I think we might have another caller, but I'm not sure if the phone lines are even working. So who knows if they can even hear this? Who the hell even knows? Caller, are you even out there? I guess they can't even hear us either. Really? Yep. I guess we can't take calls today. Interesting. Uh, oh, well. Yeah. Like, but like I said, any, I, I don't believe that anybody would hide a technology. And given, given the fact that we have corporations that love to make money. If you had a technology that was miles ahead of everything else, okay, that would improve our lives, that everybody would want, and you could make billions of dollars on, would you hide it away somewhere? Yes. Doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. Okay. Like I said, if if I had if I had uh, the uh, if I if I had the communication equipment that NASA claims, right, I could take fourteen watts of power and broadcast around the world. Quite easily. By the way, Gang of Four has responded, nothing to do with aliens. There are many technologies we are unaware of. I, speaking of the drive with the rotating Mercury. Mm-hmm. Yes, but why aren't we using it? That is the point. Why aren't we using it? If we created it, we will use it. And no especially, answer yet from Gang of Four. Especially when, there, especially when there's money involved. Yeah, the way I see it, I, I don't see why we wouldn't be using this now if it existed. Exactly. I think that's what Occam's would, razor would, would say. Easier to build a skyscraper if you had any gravity equipment. Get rid of those stupid, you know, lifts, the hoist. Yeah, that makes a lot of uh, rational sense to me. Yeah, like why wouldn't you use it? Think of all the places you can use it. You don't need ships to cross the ocean. Gang of Four has responded. Device, mm-hmm. and it causes less drag and you fly it across. Gang of Four has responded, by the way, Scott, saying, how do you know we are not using it? Because it would be everywhere. It wouldn't be hidden from us. Hopefully that answers his uh, Like, How much shipping here. is there worldwide? Okay. If you had any gravity devices, how much, how much faster could you transport cars? You wouldn't need railroads. You wouldn't need anything, right? Just That's right. Where you go, put them on your anti-gravity lift and go. Your magic carpet. Right? Drop it right at your door. You wouldn't need drones. None of that stuff. Gang of Four says, look how long the stealth technology was hidden for. It wasn't. It was never hidden. Stealth, stealth technology of the 60s was available in the 60s. And even more phone calls now. It's uh, always amusing when I say the phone lines aren't working and then a bunch of people start calling. <laughs> I love it, yeah, actually. They don't want to talk about the moon stuff. Probably not. No, they want to talk about everything else under the sun. You know, I got a Probably complete right. documentation here to show exactly how the simulations were done photo by photo. Right. That is right. And, of course, we haven't looked at what image was this. I believe it was 57. Oh, yeah. We can get into the uh, orbital design of the uh, yeah. Thing. There's uh, the that photograph uh, 57 is taken right from a press kit. Uh, it's also in the uh, lunar lunar uh, journal as well, 
showing the flight path and it also in those files has a complete description on the telemetry that they were expecting. It doesn't have the actual data of the telemetry, but it shows exactly the flight path that the craft was taking. And the only way you can do a translunar injection is you must be in line behind the Earth at the equator to to shoot to the moon. You have to be exactly on the backside of that. You can't be in a different flight path. Okay, and if you go to NEN58, it now shows a different flight path. Ah, yes. This one actually shows, and and you got to realize the millions of people that watch the launch. This thing's showing it launching and going across the United States, not out over the Atlantic. Okay, then you take the next number 59. Now it shows you go partway around the Earth and then turn left and go up and over and down and around and out and shoot underneath the south pole to go to the moon, okay? You don't turn a vehicle that weighs 130 tons, okay, with a few little rocket blasts when you're in space, okay? There's no friction, no nothing for you to turn on. You physically have to use a lot of fuel to stop the direction you're going and a whole lot more fuel to take it off in a different direction, okay? Even the translunar injection to escape the gravitational pull of the Earth is somewhere uh, to to launch it, even if you're on a normal path, is 260, 280 uh, tons of fuel that you need extra that they did not have. Okay, and there are lots of mathematicians out there that have worked that out, which means you'd need two more Saturn V launches into low Earth orbit just to provide the fuel to do the translunar injection. Uh, 64 is another example of them trying to uh, lie their way out of the Van Allen belts, showing that they skirted around the outside. That maneuver alone, you're going to need, like the Saturn V rocket was claimed to have lifted 130 tons of uh, cargo. That's its maximum. You need another 300 tons just to do that maneuver right there. Yeah, I see that now. Have that okay. up on the um, chat room. Right. And anytime you make a maneuver in space, you're going to use a lot of fuel. You have no other friction. It's not like driving a car. You can't turn the wheel and it continues on there. If you give it a little blast, it'll just rotate. It'll rotate the crash. You're still traveling the same speed. Okay. And you're not traveling at little speed. You're traveling at, at 12 kilometers a second. Right. And you've got 130 tons. You've got to slow down. Okay. That's like putting a, uh, uh, bicycle brakes on a train. It's about a comparison that you could have. They have no effect at all of those little blasts that they show on their uh, on their simulated images of those little jet blasts of the things changing the direction of the craft. And of course, once you change it one way, then you have to stop it from doing that again by more fuel, right? And they do know that. And what would be the significance of the mission Apollo Eleven? The, the Apollo 11 mission was to prove that uh, the United States was a superior nation in all of its technology and as a military force, right? Not only that they could go to the moon, but they could be in space, just like the Space Force, right? And control the planet with uh, physical force from space. I wonder and why so many astronauts... Uh, by the way, Scott, I was just curious. I wonder why so many astronauts ended up as executives of large corporations. Well, the, 
they had the notoriety. Like they were, they were world famous as much as any movie star before they'd done anything, just for signing up. Not a bad gig when you think about it that way. Was that the real reward for the moon trip? Well, uh, Neil and Buzz were uh, household names like two years before uh, Apollo 11, right? They're in the media all the time, worldwide. They were the best. They they were the best props that NASA ever had. Why would they let them go? Why would they, why would they allow these people to quit working for NASA? They were the spokesperson. They were the, you know, poster boys. And yet they just walked away. And here NASA had all of this technology, all of this stuff that could be used on the commercial market, and all of these people to promote it. And none of that ever happened. Right? None of their products went on the commercial market. And those people quit working and went somewhere else. What is your opinion on Warner Von Braun? Von Braun? Yes, sir. Well, other than the fact that uh, Russia probably got um, better rocket scientists than Von Braun. Like, I've researched that through. Russia got quite a few more um, rocket scientists out of Germany than uh, the U.S. did. It was like a free-for-all at the end of the Second World War, right, to grab these people for the technology that, that Germany had, right? Germany was that much of a threat, I mean, in the Second World War with their V-2 rockets, right? They needed that every country in the world wanted that technology. And when it was over, Russia stepped in and took a bunch, and, and the U.S. took the rest. Who knows if von Braun had a better technology because, because uh, the Soyuz rocket that that Russia is using right now is the same rocket that they had since the Second World War or since the start of the space race in the 1950s. Yes. Right? And it seems to be more a reliable rocket because the U.S. is grabbing a ride. Now, we are also joined by someone else who tried calling in earlier. Zero, is that you? Uh, yes, it is. Um, how are you, Mike? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, glad you finally called in here. I'm glad I got you in here, man. Made it, right? Yeah, I appreciate um, it. Thanks. Well, um, quite an interesting show um, um, tonight. Um, yes, sir. Um, so I presume uh, Scott is uh, our guest. Sorry, I've been in and out. Yeah, Scott's right here. Yes, I'm right yeah. here. Hey, how are you doing, sir? Good. I, um, I commend you for doing actual research and not just using uh, one-liners uh, like a lot of people do um, that are involved with the Flat Earth community or whatnot. Um so, I mean, it's apparent that this is basically a uh, sort of a magic ritual-esque type of uh, show for, for the masses. Um, would you not agree? What? You mean you mean uh, the space travel for what NASA? Yeah, like, yeah, like um, it's kind of like a Stanley Kubrick type of production. Well, if 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 you take a look at the theoretical physicists and the scientists and the, and the other educated PhDs, right? They want to promote science, okay? There's nothing wrong with promoting science and technology and encouraging people to get a uh, good education. Right, like the propaganda okay. to uh, get everybody um, in the scientific mindset right. for the, uh, um, um, uh, the, uh, the Cold War, you know, we got to get our people better than the scientists over there in the Soviet Union, right? Right. So if you promote it and you get people interested in it, hopefully you bring on board some really bright guys. Right, right? some actual um, talent. 
okay? And they come up with some new technology. They come up with new materials. They come up with new ideas, right? And that all benefits everybody, right? Especially if it, if it gets into the commercial market. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And to, to use uh, space travel as a medium because it's a, it's a bit of a fantasy land to go there, right? It's a right. dream kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but you should be upfront about our actual capabilities today. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I've if heard- all we can do is put simple satellites up there. If all we can do is, is maybe get a hundred miles up with human spaceflight for a short period of time, then you right. should tell them that, right? We shouldn't be off. Kind of like, uh, like Yuri, like, uh, Gagarin did. Sorry. Um, right. You shouldn't be, shouldn't be off. Uh, trying to say, oh, we're going to the moon, we're going to Mars, we're doing this, we're doing that, right? Because we all know the Orion spacecraft have been sitting around for 10 years and they're still trying to fix a, a couple of heat shields, right? I mean, that's longer than the entire Apollo missions all put together just to fix a heat shield. So, so where's the snag there? But it's a double-edged sword at the same time right. because if you tell all of these people that all of this technology already exists that you can go there, then those guys aren't going to invent it. Yeah, it's it's um, right. It's like a hit. It's like hit. It's a hit and miss. Double edged sword, right? Double edged sword. Yeah. Positive things all. By the way, Scott, I just wanted to jump in here really quickly and add on to something. Well, not even to add on to something. I don't think we've ever even mentioned Apollo 13 and what caused that accident. I don't think we've ever talked about that. Me and you, Scott. Well. Pretty simple when you read through all of the data on the thing. I mean, it took off. It got pretty high. Uh, oxygen tank exploded because of the vacuum in the upper atmosphere. It separated, landed in the Atlantic Ocean. The Russians picked up the capsule the next morning and handed it back to the U.S. It never did the flight around like you see in the movies. Okay. And when they picked that capsule up, there was nobody on board. It was an empty shell. I mean, it was documented. It was, it was in the Russian newspapers. Did you like the movie, by the way? Uh, I, I've only watched part of it because I have a real problem with some of the acting. Understood, understood. <laughs> okay. And, yes, sir. And, and by, by the way, what about you? Oh, he, I guess he muted himself. Yeah. I was going to ask him if he liked the movie. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I was just going to say, did you like the movie? Um, I'm not sure that I've seen it. Um, I have. I removed myself from um, television uh, some 17 years ago um, and I started watching movies. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, I kind of feel unprepared. So That's Apollo okay. um, 13 is, was this in the 80s or? Um, no, it's 70s. Okay, never mind. 71. Yeah, 71. Okay. Um, so, okay, so Apollo is um, the, um, was it like the, uh, um, the Roman way of stating um, the the god of the sun, right? Just well, from the yeah, the Apollo missions were, you know, of course, space flight and and uh, godlike. Right? Uh, so Apollo, god of the sun. You know, one thing that we completely forgot to mention here when we returned from the break was the link to Freemasonry. But Buzz Aldrin, we didn't get into that at all either. We forgot all about that. Well, all of the all of the uh, astronauts were Freemasons. 
every I single one of them. He was the thirty third. Okay. And he, now now you're um, in the you're into the political aspect of their appointment to be an astronaut. Uh, what were you saying, by the way? You're cut off there. Um, the um, I believe that um, Buzz Aldrin. Um, he uh, there's a, a picture of him uh, being honored in the Grand Orient in uh, Washington D.C. Hmm. As I think I believe he's a 33rd degree Freemason. I yes. see. Okay. So all of them were Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it has to do with their their uh, position in the military. Has to do with their position in the uh, for the Apollo uh, selection, and it has to do with the the fact that uh, of the fact that they were they were very skilled test pilots at the same time, right? And they were brought in, they were brought on board because of their position, right? Because of their skills. In fact, I'll be right back. I have a document from um, the United States Navy okay. uh, of Knights Templars. Um, so give me one second. I'll be right back. Yeah, go for it. Very interesting there. I did not know that. And it seems like a lot of these astronauts, it seems like many of them have issues when they return. Well, of course. Yeah, they, it's because they didn't go anywhere. They had to fake it, and then they had to lie about it. Yeah, it seems like a lot of them have these issues. Not everybody's a good liar. Okay, they can't do it convincingly, especially if they thought they were going to get caught, or especially if they're doing something like trying to expose the fraud at the same time. Uh-huh. That'll put them a little on edge. And I believe our friend is looking for that document. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's still searching. Yes. Oh, um, he's back. Uh, the reason for the Masonic involvement, I believe, is due to the fact of um, uh, to have an oath of allegiance, which would bar them from speaking, you know, what they saw or whatnot. Um, hold probably a bit more of a higher level than just your ordinary uh, military oath, which is basically the oath to the Constitution of the Republic of the United States of America. That probably may be the reason for the necessity of having to have had been um, a Freemason to be involved in. A yeah, black, I, I, would agree black, with, I would agree with that. Um, let's see here. And let me do, I don't know, do this and switch. While you look for that, I just wanted to quickly ask Scott. Oh, I'm looking at that image now. Uh, by the way, Scott, yeah. what was it initially that first made you question what you saw? First made me question it? Yes, sir. Um, I think uh, the first video I watched that really, really got my attention was James Collier. Mm, okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's 1997. Okay? It raised way too many questions. Uh, the second one I watched was Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen. That's what they said. I've got I've to look into this myself. Right? When you believe something, when you believe they landed on the moon, like I said, I grew up in high school. I was just flooded with it being like, you know, through the, through those years, right? It was pushed on. It was, it was part of science. You didn't have science class. You had NASA class, right? Those kind of things. So when you, when you believe it your entire life and all of a sudden it comes up and then you see that and you go, Christ. And I like being active, uh, looking at all the documentation of NASA. When you read it and you believe, you don't see anything wrong with the documentation, right? Right. 
it all looks good. Oh, here's the test results. Okay, there was a failure here. Well, they must have corrected it, right? They're showing you that this was a failure, that was a failure, and this had to be done, and they had problems with the wiring and this and that and the other. Well, of course, they must have fixed it because they're all PhDs, engineers, everything else, right? Of course, they fixed it because they went to the moon. It must have happened. You don't even question it. Yeah, it was on TV, so of course it was, it was real. Right. And then James Collier, you sit there and listen to it, and they go, well, why did they destroy all the data? Why is this? Why won't that guy let me have a look inside there to see how big that is, to see if it's even big enough for him to get out of, right? This thing looks like it's put together like a piece of garbage, and in fact it is, right? And then when I when I uh, watched one of uh, Marcus Allen's presentations, and he's going through the, the fact that this is a actual studio setting and there's the additional lighting and everything else oh, right? hold on one one second scott are you seeing this image that our friend is showing us in, yes i can't quite read you, it i can't quite kinda, make it out yeah. i can see the, i can see the documents look at that i mean that's pretty interesting yeah. right there not templar yes it's definitely it's definitely not the same image that's up in the chat room by the way boys and girls we are seeing oh. a shared screen image here of a document that looks like the entire Charter of the Templars. Yeah. Right in front of your hand there. Interesting. I wish. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Explain. This was a, yeah. So this is a document that I have come into uh, possession of uh, while I was serving in the United mm -hmm. States Navy. Uh, I was shredding um, like certain logs, which were used for, um, uh, I was just doing some kind of task, um, shredding some documents or whatever. That were military related, and one of the log books, uh, when I opened it, uh, this fell out of it, and it's definitely not military. Uh, and this is the um, basically um, Nice Templar, it says number 13. Um, this was basically a, a draft of a letter from one knight to another. Um, so yeah, I managed to get this sort of copy of a, of a draft. Which and has... you just happened to keep this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to put this in my pocket. And since it's not um, a military document, and since I have no oaths of secrecy, um, I'm, I should be, you know, clear. In the, uh, yeah. in the, um, clear. You should be fine. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not doing anything malicious with it. Uh, um, but this is to show that, oh, God damn it, my roommate. <laughs> <laughs> he woke up. Yeah, my handler. Um, <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a Russian. Um, anyhow, so the um, the point I wanted to illustrate is that um, uh, Knights Templars is a Christian military order um, of the Masons. Um, it's related to Vatican, and it's basically true that the Crusades um, are still continuing. Everything is is as the old days have been. Except it's more hidden, and you know, you have all these, secret. you know, usarmy.com. Lots of secret well, societies out there still. Yeah. I mean, so um, the military order of the Knights Templars runs, at the very least, the United States Navy. And um, so, I mean, there's just that sort of connection. Um, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure in the, you know, the space or the galactic level of um, their adventures, <laughs> their crusades. Yeah. <laughs> The, uh, I believe that space and what's out there is highly classified and there may be 
quote unquote secret space program or something to that extent. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard rumors. Um, you know, the Nazis build the flying saucers or, you know, or whatever. I'm not sure. Um, but it's definitely not for public consumption. The, um, the whole space, um, deal, you know, that's my take on the, on the, on the whole thing. And definitely we, what we've been shown is, um, again, designed for mass consumption. And then they're not going to really show you what's really going on out there. That's way above yeah. our pay grade. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's what, like MG12 or somebody said the um, galactic um, classification, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, again, it's just like, it's so obscured. Um, and all of these different things that they throw at us, which um, may have worked in the 60s and, you know, hooray. And, right, right. Like first man on the moon and all that. Um, but now we're looking back at it and just like, Oh man, look at this and look at these uh, details. And you know, that doesn't make any sense. Can't square this, you know, circle at all. <laughs> What's going on? So I'm, I'm pretty glad that uh, our guest tonight has, um, you know, um, shared more of a um, research yeah. and analysis on, on the, um, on this, uh, on the circus, you know, on this performance. Well, thank you. Yes, I agree. And I do want to thank you for calling in. We are going to wrap up pretty soon here. But again, I do thank you tremendously for calling, well, for joining me here on Skype sure. and sharing this image with us. I mean, my God, fascinating stuff, man. I'm so glad you called. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, guys, um, be great. Uh, have a great one. Um, great show. And um, well, we'll talk soon. All right, buddy. Thank you. Take care, man. Yeah, take care. Yeah, interesting concept. Of wow. Yes. Trying to keep it secret. But at the same time, uh, it could just be the fact that... Uh, uh oh, I think something bad happened again, folks. I think we might have lost Scott in the call there. I hope that's not what happened. I think, oh boy, I think we might have um lost him for a moment here. And I believe Scott is back. What's up, Scott? Yes. Oh, you lost me completely? I lost oh. you for a moment. I don't know what happened. Well, I was talking away. I just, I was just saying that the, uh, the, uh, Advancements in general that we have yes. are all moving along at about the same space, speed. But when it comes to space, okay, everything's much, much slower. Much uh, Everything develops at a lot slower pace. And maybe they don't want to admit to that. I think you're right. Okay? I think, I you're think right. that's why they want to keep it a secret. No, we didn't go to the moon. No, we've got some hurdles that we can't overcome, right? We've got communication problems. We've got radiation problems. We've got vacuum problems. And yes, one day we will build uh, a machine that's capable of lifting uh, enough equipment up there to protect human beings, right? To not necessarily land on the moon, but just to be out there, right? Uh, I think it's a long way off, right? We don't have the we don't have the capability if we're going to use rockets to lift the equipment up. We're certainly disabled with the with the amount of weight we can lift, right? We don't have the materials to protect us from the radiation, okay? We don't have power sources to power the equipment we need to keep us there, right? We have to bring the entire environment of the planet with us to sustain us if we're going to be out there for any length of time. Absolutely everything must regenerate itself exactly like it does here on Earth. 
Definitely. Now, Scott, we are about to close up shop here. And I want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. We will definitely have to do this again in the very near future. Definitely have to get into more detail and bring in some more folks, talk to them and get their opinions on these things. And by the way, Scott, are you ever going to write a book? I do not write well. Okay. That's why you get a ghostwriter. That's why David Percy can write an article up. I give him the, I, I do the research. He does a beautiful job of writing it up. And that's why Randy Walsh right, is right. writing it up. And that's why I'm in Trevor Weaver's book as well. Right. If somebody wants to write a book, they can write a book about me. I'll provide the information. Understood. Right. Yes, sir. And, and, and that, like, if I want to become a writer, I would have become one a long time ago. <laughs> right. And I definitely want to leave you with any parting words. Definitely get anything off your chest you want to now. Well, not really. I, I would like to, uh, of course, thank Marcus Allen because he encouraged me to uh, step away from the research and, and present myself. Okay. He, he encouraged me to come online and, and do interviews and things like that. I'm very happy just doing the research and handing it out uh, to other people. I see uh, my friend Tim is saying uh, I should have a moon hoax cookbook. Nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, and compare, compare the anomalies. I to, mean, you just uh, need to get a uh, ghost writer, Scott, and then we're, we're gold. Yes, I know. That's it. That's exactly what I need. Randy, yeah. Randy does an excellent job in uh, filling in the blanks with the detail that he has. But, uh, yeah, I see Tim T in the chat. I'd like to thank, uh, David Percy (laughs) for, uh, taking me seriously because, uh, I probably came out of the blue. He's been around forever, right? It's not that I wasn't there. I just wasn't, uh, expressing myself publicly to anybody else. And, uh, people need to know. People need to understand. We need to know the truth. We need to know where the lines are, what we need to develop because it all comes back to where we live okay we we have to pay more attention to the corporations that go out and destroy this planet especially the mining companies right oil companies they can go out and destroy the planet and people will say oh don't worry about it they made a big mess there we went to the moon for god's sakes we can certainly clean that up actually no we can't clean it up we didn't go to the moon right and we're going to leave it with our children and our grandchildren to deal with Tremendous. Once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program, Scott, and I will see you on the other side. Thank you very much, sir. Pleasure to be on. Yes, sir. Take care. I know. Mahalo. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Scott Henderson. My God. Great, great guest indeed. Great calls. I do appreciate all of you out there for listening to the program. And of course, as we take it home here tonight and pull this Larry Silverstein style, I must say thank you so much. All of you out there in the chat room, and of course, those who will listen tomorrow. Speaking of which, tomorrow, Sunday, I'm back on the microphone with none other than Big Jim Fetzer. It's been a while, and he has returned, and we will be live tomorrow, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Yes, a bit early. We will be going pretty hard, pretty damn early. Definitely check that out. 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time tomorrow, and we are right back to this. Again, I appreciate all of you out there who have subscribed to the Patreon. That's 
patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And that is for all the hardcore listeners out there, the fans. I don't even like to say fans, but the hardcores out there. If you like the program and want more content, definitely go there. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. International listeners out there, thank you so much for your support. Interesting night again, boys and girls. Do we have a cosmic neighbor out there somewhere in the deep shadows of space? Did life at one time exist on Mars? Hell, I don't even know. Did Kurt, Kurt, did Courtney Love kill or hire someone to kill Kurt Cobain? I don't even know that either. The mind continues to race here, boys and girls. I love all of you out there. Thank you so much for all your support. I'm Michael Deacon, and with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.